Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fanfiction analysis podcast sponsored by, well not sponsored by, a subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Hey, Brian. Sponsored by listeners like you. That's right. And Maria's Empanadas. When the plague is over, (laughs) we're going to go get empanadas. Someday. I haven't been to downtown Denver literally since like February. Yeah, I went there. Oh, this is actually a funny funny story. I was going to just get us right into it, but we're already segued. I went to the office for the first time like three weekends ago. I went on Sunday afternoon because I I happened to be driving near downtown. And I had Mm -hmm. the sneaking suspicion that since, I don't know, uh, the last week of January, February, March, February that I might have had, like, a banana rotting in my desk drawer. Oh, my God. So I, I've been thinking that for, like, the last few weeks. And I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well check it out. And luckily, no rotten banana. But I did squirrel away all the snacks I had stuffed in there. And, uh, nice. yeah, it was, this it was weird. Be, it it was wouldn't a ghost be rotten town. banana anymore. It'd be, like, mummified banana. Oh, it would be a, be a horror yeah. show. No, it probably, like, it would have been, like, the thing that was a horror show two months ago. And now it's just, like, the interesting desiccated something-something. I'm sure it still would have smelled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not maybe long enough that it like what you like pushed on right through that, that phase. <laughs> yeah, then you had to open the office door, but like, oh, all right, like, I'm okay. coming back at the end of the summer. <laughs> totally unrelated to the time. So I had the super cool opportunity to go. I went to Antarctica, it was like three years ago now. Um, you mostly, everybody, like, there's only so many places to go to in Antarctica unless you're a scientist that gets to go to actual, uh, what is it called, Murdo? Anyway. Um, but like one of the standard places they take you to is there was this, uh, the science base, I think the British ran it like back in the sixties and like b- before every winter they, you know, a ship comes in to bring them all their stuff, uh, before all the oceans freeze over and you can't get to it anymore. So they bring them a whole winter's worth of stuff to supply them up. But like the winter had come early and the ice was already starting to freeze. And so the boat comes in and is like, okay, you know what? We're not gonna be able to get to you guys. Uh, but we're like five miles away over here. Just leave everything. And the, it, things are getting even worse. We got to get out of here in a few hours. So just leave everything where it is. Get your dogs on your sled and come over here. We're getting get the fuck out of here and abandon the base. And so they did. And they took off and everybody was fine. They got the dogs, get the people out. Um, but then they just decided, but the, and they could like they left their shit just like lying where it was. Um, and so, you know, 50 years later, the British just decided to turn it into a museum. And 50 years later, they left everything with like all their shit sitting exactly where it was. Um, I'm sure they like staged some stuff around, but it's still like, you know, this blanket is lying here and some magazines lying around over here and this tiny, tiny little cabin in the middle of, uh, on a tiny little island off the, in Antarctica. And, uh, that one of the gross things though is they had all this, I think it was, I think it was Hellman's. They had like, the, they were like little jars. They were probably like, you know, a 10, 12 ounce jar of mayonnaise. And they had like 20 of them in this, in this cupboard. These jars of mayonnaise that had been sitting in this cupboard unopened since like the 1960s. And they turned to this really scary, like oil and what it, yeah, it was, yeah, it's kind of cool looking. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what mayonnaise looks like after being stored in, in, uh, Antarctica for 50 years. That's gnarly and awesome. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of dope. But... Oh, man. Speaking yeah. of gnarly and awesome, I promised my review of Last of Us 2. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm loving every second of it. So like it? I'll just, you know, I probably won't burn 15 minutes talking about it. I'll see if I can get someone else on the doof troop who's like doof played troop. it. Who's like more talk qualified about it. to have an opinion about it? Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, you can talk about it, but you haven't played it. So I played it. Like, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just tell you how I... awesome it is, but that'd be boring. So I want to chat with the you first one. About it. Like the first one was supposed to be kind of a big deal in terms of like what it did with graphics and animation, wasn't it? I mean, it was sort of 
like stood out among its peers. Maybe That's I a, think so. About the only thing I remember about it, like like it was particularly good at, at the time it came out. It was kind of groundbreaking. This. That's what I have filed in the back of my brain. I will say I'm not wowed by the graphics of this one. Um, there are frequent points where like a person's face doesn't render, and it's not just because like they're out of focus, like where the camera is focused. Like they they are just like kind of plain for a second, and then you see it pop into focus. Um, like it was surprisingly like, oh okay, this is the exact same graphics as the first game. That's fine, but the graphics isn't what I care about. The story and the gameplay and everything is fucking epic. So. Cool. I will save that for another day, and today we will talk about chapters 76 and 77. Where are we at, Brian? How'd you like it? Yes. Or rather, um, let me, let me, like, let's, not, I... let's not make it a leading question. What did you think of these chapters? What did you think? Is it, um, I, so I like the, like, it feels like, uh, and I was thinking about this, like the sort of episodic way this book is written. Um, so this like feels like, okay, we're starting a new arc. I hear people talk, call it an arc. I don't normally think of arcs as things that happen in books. Um, and I think, and that's kind of how this one plays out a lot more. Like books tend to be like sort of like you might have little mini, you know, ebbs and flows of the, of the story, but it's sort of like, it's one arc in a book. And this has got, you know, a lot more of them. And, um, so I like, so this sort of like feels again, like, oh, we're starting up a new one is, is how this feels. Um, so, so I like that. Uh, and I, like, how do I feel about it? So the, so Harry was a spectacular dick in the, uh, chapter 77. Um, but do I, I guess, but did that mean I didn't like it? I, I didn't like Harry. Um, I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, I think it's like, and again, it's that sort of like cognitive distance of like, you know, trying to process like, okay, am I, like, am I just, like, am I just supposed to get over this? Or is this, like, part of part of the plot? I think I'm kind of more arriving at the idea that, like, Harry being a dick is, like, we're not supposed to be okay with that. Um, and that it's, and then it just sort of fits in. I think it's sort of been problematic, because I think that is, for the most part, true. Um, but it hasn't always. Because, uh, like, like, I sort of, and I think I said this last week, like, kind of getting the impression that, like, Yudkowsky kind of evolved in the very long amount of time that he was writing this. And, like, like new sort of thrusts of what he felt like saying got kind of added after the fact and other things just sort of like changed and, and evolved. So like, I don't think maybe, you know, goals of the storytelling in the beginning are the same as, as they are now where, we, where we're at. Um, I think you're right. I think yeah. the skeleton was there, but like, yeah. as he went along with it, I think, especially cause it went on for four or five years, I think he got yeah. to be a better writer and like the story just grew beyond what he initially had sketched out. Yeah. And I, and I get the impression, like, it's becoming more like what I had hoped it was with this sort of like, kind of Harry sort of like looking at himself being like, oh, like it is the thing where Harry kind of, he's sort of failing at it right now, but kind of looking at himself like, oh, you know, maybe I'm kind of a dick and I should cut that out. Um, and I think it is sort of consciously um, turning into that now where he's sort of like comparing himself to Coral and we kind of get to see like the more and more kind of sociopathic ways Coral acts. Um, and I think it was like, it's always been somewhat like that, but I think it was a little problematic because you sort of like, um, and it sounds like a lot of, uh, people that were, you know, reading it as it went along, you sort of get like roped in by kind of, cause Harry says stuff that like sounds like it makes sense. You kind of agree with it. And it's sort of like, especially cause it com- comes out on the side of like science and rationality and, but you're being a dick about it, Harry. Um, so then I think people start getting like the feel the need to start defending the behavior and, um, and a lot of it's sort of like compatible with like, like things that are like shitty to do in, in nerd world, we excuse them more. 
Um, and so it, then it's kind of easier to like excuse more and more and more of it. Um, and I think like that was sort of, so it was like a little bit of both in the beginning. I think it's kind of becoming more like crystallized and less so where like when, when Harry is being a dick, it's because Harry is a dick and you like, that's a thing we're going to work through in this story. Um, as opposed to just like, oh, maybe this author's just a dick and this is a reflection of his dickishness. Like, and I don't, I saw, and I don't get the impression that that's, that that's it anymore. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to say that Harry is a mouthpiece for like rationality. He's certainly a mouthpiece for like a, an aspiring rationalist, somebody who wants to, yeah. uh, get these skills and cognitive tools and better themselves. But to say he's like, oh yeah, no, he's made it. Um, and this is what it looks like. I think that'd be yeah. a pretty sad, uh, state of I affairs. Think it, see, that's a, and I think, I think it kind of started out that way. I think it sort of was, and was that like, was it the insert? The author insert. The author, the author insert. I think he kind of like he pretty that that's what it was. And maybe like after you've read the whole thing and you start seeing it as kind of one sort of whole, then um, then it doesn't seem like because it doesn't seem like that at all now. Like we see like we very much see like okay Harry is like we're seeing Harry's failings as fitting into part of a story that's going on. I think in the beginning, and even looking back on that now, I think like it started out as just sort of like, it's, he's like, it, that's a convenient way to start, you know, saying all these things you want to say about science and rationality. Um, and, and then it sort of falls into the pit of, and it's coming out of the mouth of an arrogant little, you know, douchebag. Um, but so I think it's sort of like, you know, it's, that's kind of evolved into it too. Um, yeah. I think uh, like, especially once you get more time with other characters and you get to, you know, especially the ones where you you're in their heads and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. The author yeah. isn't just writing this one guy. He's also writing other super compelling characters like Dumbledore and Hermione. Um, Coral's super compelling, even if he's not super admirable, uh, yeah. stuff like that. So I think um, I was going to save this for later, but it actually fits now. So like Inyash pointed out on discord and I, for, I don't know where he found this, but I'll take his word for it, that the author, apparently in his observation of when he is reading stuff and trying to write something, that he, you know, it says, Eliezer observed that good versus evil has become kind of cliche and boring. Many creators have pivoted to a more gray-shaded, no one is good, morally ambiguous conflict. Uh, Yudkowsky commented that this feels basically like shifting to evil versus evil, which he also finds boring. Uh, he says, good versus good are the most interesting stories, and based on how much I loved HP, HPMOR and Metropolitan Man, I think I agree. And that was Inyash in that last bit. But I, I think that's that's what I like about this is like I, I can find both sides of, you know, we're, we're ahead, but Harry and Dumbledore's discussion that they have, I can find them both really compelling and really, uh, admir what do you call it, attractive. Yeah. But I like and that's what's awesome. Like if, he, if, if Harry was arguing down some idiot. Or if Dumbledore, was, or, if, or if Harry was, you know, super obviously an idiot in the, in this argument, then it would be like, okay, yeah, good guy owns bad guy. Seen that a hundred times. Mm -hmm. But like, it's it's seldom that I come away from a conflict in fiction where you're like, damn, that's a really good point, and I am still trying to struggle with how to settle that. Yeah, what I like about these last few chapters is it feels like it almost feels like. Like when Yudkowsky was writing this, like even he hadn't like come at it with, uh, oh, this is the moral of the story I'm trying to tell here. And how do I do that? It almost like, and I, I really like this about, especially when it's like stories get enough sort of like weight underneath them. 
uh, that they can kind of like take on a life of their own that like he just sort of like he's developed these like he's got this Dumbledore character that he's put like enough background into that he has his own like we have our own sense of okay this is a, a person with you know certain set of motivations and how they act and the same with Harry and so he's just sort of like set up these two like these robots already wound up and ready to go and he just wants to see where they go and he has doesn't like he didn't I, this could be totally wrong but my impression is like he didn't really come into this with a with an agenda for for how to say it he just sort of like okay I, you know I've developed a Dumbledore character and I've developed a Harry character let me just kind of like stick them in the room and, and have them get into a fight about something and see what they say um, and so it doesn't come out like we and we don't end the thing with like a you know a hard and fast okay this is the right answer to that conversation it's just sort of like all the things that those characters would bring up do get brought up and it does like it it does kind of end up in a like a sloppy gray uncomfortable mess but in a way that like kind of felt pretty you know authentic so i, I like that a lot because that's sort of like okay that like the story's just gotten like a, an extra level of real um because we're sort of like trusting the universe to have a meaning of its own and we just sort of like have to ask what it is i love when characters are kind of strong enough in the story and in your head to say, well, what would happen if these two characters yeah. met in this, con- met in this context? Yeah, exactly. yeah it's kind and of like, if you, like you go back and like some like TV show that you love, you go back and you like watch the first season, you can see like how stilted and awkward everything was. Cause like they hadn't figured out how everybody was going to work together. Yeah. Um, and then you would like realize like, oh, okay. And that was like writers and actors and everybody sort of like getting a feel for, okay, this is how it works. And then it starts like, you st- like everybody involved. And now like the author is like, has sort of like, like even Yudkowsky has suspended his own disbelief about the, his own characters. Like they are t- on s- to some level, like real on their own and like they're doing their own thing now. Man, I was, I was singing some glowing praises of uh, worm before we got started. And that is exactly the vibe you get from that. And it's helped along by the fact that between arcs, uh, which are like chapter breakdowns, there'd be something like six or 10 chapters ish between each, like, couple of interlude chapters and those interludes are always from non-main character or from non-protagonist characters and it a helps the world building a lot but b as far mm-hmm. as like the characters having a life of their own um during at least one of the major conflicts the author literally rolled dice to see who would survive <laughs> and what's fun is that the protagonist he like gave low odds and she he thought she was going to die he's going to go on with the re- another character for the rest of the story and what I love about that is that on a meta level, that's exactly such a Taylor thing to do. Survive, <laughs> survive the low odds and come out and have to keep going. Um, but someone had asked him, like, well, so what would happen if, if she had died? He's like, well, then this wouldn't have happened and then this wouldn't have happened. And then, yeah, I guess this person would have gone off and did this. And it was such a cool uh, just the, the idea yeah. that this person that that Wildo had this universe in his head. And he's like, yeah, if I on the back of the clock, if I on the clock back and did this instead, yeah, this is how things would have worked out. Um, and yeah, that only yeah. works in a universe. We've got characters who are actually characters and aren't just like uh, NPCs. Yeah. And you like trust it enough to you just like, you know, what, this something valuable is going to come out on the other side of this without me needing to like decide in advance. Um, yeah. It's totally. Cool. cool. Speaking of cool. Well, you know, what's not cool is Rianne Felthorn making a couch big enough to lie down on where she's going to meet Snape rather than, like, say, a chair a or something. A stool. I know. Yes. Yeah, this whole thing is weird. I was actually, okay, yeah, so, like, this chapter, summary-wise, like, so then we get to figure out, um, figure out, okay, what was that whole conspiring and that, that this 
clears up Snape's role with the both with like that one attack and just like every all of the heroing the whole time the the bully hunting. Um, so we get a bunch of exposition and then she gets her memory wiped. Uh, that's like the short version of just what happens in the plot. Um, but I was a little disappointed because it felt like that whole like lead up. Um, that we get like it was sort of like left as a I don't know if cliffhanger is the right word but like we get to see like Rianne's thoroughly inappropriate hopes and feelings around Snape um, before and it like just sort of gets dramatically cut off and uh, and now we've come back to it um, I was hoping that it would actually be like a bigger deal rather than this almost just feels like it just sort of like is you know patching together up you know, plot point of, oh, okay, how did, you know, how is Snape involved? Um, I don't know, I guess like, it feel like, like Rianne's role in this is more like just pragmatic for advancing the plot than about like an interesting little sub story. Yeah. Um, for Rianne, for sure. Like her, yeah. I mean, she's unfortunately not a main character in this, this subplot, you know, Snape, he might be up to more stuff. He might be, what I like about this a lot as far as Snape is that like, it shows more depth to him. In the last chapter, you, yeah. I think you even put in the notes that like, oh man, Snape's unambiguously a piece of shit. What an asshole. And now we see that this was to a higher goal. Um, yeah, although, you know what? I'm kind of still, I just have a, you know, a more nuanced version of he's a piece of shit. Like from, because <laughs> like, like the quote I pulled, uh, I will lead up to a little more, but like he says, it's an odd thing to look back after only 32 years and wonder when your life was ruined past all rescuing. Um at least, like, my take of that is, like, no, okay, yeah, Snape is a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit that is aware that he is a piece of shit and maybe a little sad about it. But at least from, it, like, the impression I, I'm i getting at this point is, like, we're not – this is not the Snape from the original books where, like, oh, is he secretly in love with Lily and he was, like, protecting them the whole time that maybe, like – to me, like, I would be surprised at all if none of that was actually happening and he actually just is, you know, the piece of shit that bullies kids. Like, we do get, like, in the next chapter a little bit, like, okay, he does that in order to, like, you know, generate his cover story. So a little bit, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I don't know how to feel about it, but he, like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like we're getting that same sort of, like, oh, troubled, secretly tragic character Snape, like, um, from the original. This one feels more like, oh, no, this guy's a dick. He's just aware of the fact that he's a dick. Yeah, it, it's hard to say whether that makes it better or worse, like as yeah. far as whether that makes him a better or worse person. Like, I I don't know how mean he has to be to keep up his cover. I would imagine yeah, I mean, that's a little less mean. He's probably, he's probably he's, I think he's enjoying that a little more than he needs to. Exactly. So um, it's like, all right, we need you to keep up your cover. Well, you're already an asshole. Why don't you be an asshole to these kids? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like I like because I'm, I'm a little disappointed in that, like, I wish we'd sort of like that we had done something better with how Rianne fits into this because it's sort of just feeling like it was just sort of like a, like she's just a tool to advance the, advance the plot. But I do like like what we're doing here with Snape. I'm not sure where it's going. Uh, I like that it does feel different. Um He's enjoyably unlikable. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't, at least for me, I'm not feeling like that same, I don't know if like, it's probably just after the fact, like editing my memories of, of Snape in the book, but like there's like this sort of like, yeah, he's, you know, deeply flawed and did some like inexcusably fucked up stuff, but there's this, you know, you can sympathize with, with the Snape from the originals and like, I'm not getting that, you know, at all with this, this one that's like, it, I guess it's still sort of like the open possibility that, okay, maybe he's, you know, doing something useful to the good guys. But as far as his personality, like this guy just seems like a, you know, cold, lame dick. 
Um, it's also like more like, and we do get that, and we keep talking about it, and they're not, and they're not saying it. So they, um, so she comes in, and uh, and so she's like waiting there for for Snape to show up, uh, knowing that she's about to have her memories wiped. And then when Snape comes in, he, she realizes that that he's the way he's acting around her and the things he's telling her, uh, she's getting a version of Snape that she would not get, uh, except for the fact that he knows he's about to wipe her memory of the whole thing. Um, and yeah. what part of that, like, so there's, there's more to it than that. But like, what I thought was interesting about that was that we also get to see he's sort of, at least my take of it, like, he's not just sort of like bitter, evil Snape. He's also lame Snape, but not in any, like, instead of sort of being like darkly, tragically evil and dark, he's like, I know he's also kind of a loser. Um, and that's sort of like, you know, fed into like this levels of bitterness too. Cause like at the end we like, Oh, maybe he never kissed a girl. Um, and not, and the, but it, that's not, at least my takeaway from that was that there wasn't anything sympathetic about it. It was like, Oh, he's just like this lame, bitter, dick and it's sort of like really cool as a character but like not at all any like you don't feel any sympathy for him at all at least i don't like i guess i'm torn i guess i i find this one more compelling than the canon one because the other one was just as much of a lame dick as this one like there was that scene that somehow played emotionally in the seventh book during like the pensive flashback that he gives harry when harry learns that his patronus is a doe and uh that he had always been on the side of the light on the, of the good guys and uh, that he'd always loved Harry's mom or something. Like mm-hmm. I remember that the line when he like shows Dumbledore his Patronus and he says still, and he says always. And like, there, it's hard to be more pathetic than like, yeah, I, I've always loved the, my, yeah. this, this guy's wife who've both been dead for 10 years or no, wait, at this point it's like 17. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so, I think, yeah, that's like, Snape, like, that, that, the that's, Snape from the originals, like, you have to, like, at the end of the day, you have to, like, he's definitely a good guy. He's got this, like, tragic story, but, like, he's, you know, did all this well, self-sacrifice. I, I'm saying it's just as lame. They just don't call it that. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, and I guess what I meant by lame is, like, well, it's sort of, like, sympathetically lame, I guess, but, like, the, like the original. And this one is more, like, lame, like, I sort of a, the bright word for me to be using is, like, he's, this is, like, incel Snape. Like where uh, it's like, oh, he's like lame reject, but not in a way that like makes you sympathize for like the hardship of that. But it's like, oh, this has turned him like bitter and nasty and just sort of like lashing like the, you know, the pain inflicted on him. He's just going to inflict out on the on the rest of the world to him. Um, so he's like this thoroughly unsympathetic character, but it's like it, it's cool. I mean, I dig it because he's like he's I don't get where he's going. He's like this wild card and I'm not sure like what like where we're going with this guy. Cause it seems like he definitely doesn't fit in the same way that he did in the originals. Um, and there's this like very sort of twisted difference in the way he's coming across. I don't, maybe I'm like misreading this a lot and it's not going to turn into that at all. But it seems like, Oh, what do we do with this? Like thoroughly unsympathetic Snape. And that like, maybe he's gonna, I mean, it's like, maybe he's going to have some like pragmatic use like for the good guys. But at least for this point, like it doesn't feel like, Oh, this is going to be a character that we like in the end or feel sympathy for it's gonna be like oh no how do we like how does this like mean little fuck fit into the rest of this story i mean on the plus side this mean little fuck is apparently working behind the scenes to try and fight bullies yeah so yeah, well he's, so, i mean is not, that like i didn't get yeah, that it, it makes him con- it makes him complex maybe no but like his like fighting 
the bullies, like, I didn't get it. To me, it still seems ambiguous. Like, what was he doing? Um, Because I didn't, at least from, like, I didn't get this as a takeaway of, like, oh, he was definitely helping them, like, making sure everything was going okay. And maybe behind some of how things, you know, maybe he was helping them, you know, with magic in between. Except, like, that was mostly talks that, like, got them out of all the yeah, the I think stuff. it's it's implied. So that's like that's ambiguous, at least for me. Like, I'm not sure what he was up to, just that he's been involved. Fair enough. I guess I can't remember if it came out. It didn't come out and say it, but I think it was implied that when I forget it was one of their first altercations with bullies, where uh, Daphne, yeah, the one with the lightsaber, hits that one bully in the groin with her, her lightsaber, and it breaks his shields and stuns him. And then Snape is chewing him out. And he's like, no, it shouldn't have, you know, gone through my, my shields or whatever. And he's like, no, it shouldn't have. Now, you've embarrassed me enough. Get the fuck out of here. And mm-hmm. then he kind of smiles to himself. And then in the chapter after the bully thing, when Harry and Dumbledore are talking, Dumbledore thinks that it's Quirrell who broke the shield. But mm-hmm. I, I, my my headcanon that I don't remember if it's substantiated or not by future knowledge, so I think it's untainted by me having read the book, <laughs> um, is that that Snape did that Snape was Snape was there invisible and was helping the good guys. Um, yeah, I guess like for me, like the, like you get, that's not like a resolved as, as a known thing, but in my head, like the entertained possibilities are that it was probably quarrel, but maybe not. It's sort of like undefined, but like, that's the other, like the, I wouldn't say likely, but the, slightly less unlikely is that it was coral otherwise it's like i don't know but like i don't i didn't i don't have floating in my head that like all of that was snape the whole time i mean he was Um, leaving the notes yeah yeah i mean like for me like right my or wait was he semi my semi-concrete impression of it was that he's just been sort of behind the scenes and getting people, you know, to show up in the places that he wants them to show up, but that he wasn't directly involved in anything until that big rumble of 40 uh, clan members. Oh, um, I suppose he's just been sort of like pulling strings behind the scenes up until that point. But you don't know any of that. That's just sort of the... Yeah, fair. I guess, I mean, this goes against that, but it, like there's something in this chapter that invalidates this, this uh, what I'm about to say, but it's, it would be funny to imagine that he's just sending them there like finding out where bullies are, just hoping they'll get their asses whooped. <laughs> that would be funny, but he does tell Rianne that we were the one helping them, or that we were the one. Yeah, helping and them find does them. he say? I don't think we get any. We get direct confirmation anything. to that. Yeah, but we, we don't get any sort of clue as to as to the why of it. Well, yeah, I guess because she does. She asks him that, and he basically just conspicuously doesn't answer the question at all. Right. And that's that's when he goes into his weird non sequitur about there's a boy that likes you in class. Yeah, and it's um, it, what I like about that too. And I mentioned this is that like when he's talking about, um, you know, so he th- what we get with him talking to somebody is about to about to be obliviated, which I want to touch on in a second. Um, we get him being like open and like with his expressions and with mm-hmm. whatever for like the first time that because he's like I don't have to put on a mask because I'm near somebody who won't remember this conversation, yeah. and yet he still lies about the setup. Yeah. Like, it's not a, I mean, technically it's a boy in her class, but it's him and it's not her. It's a different person. Um, so, I mean, well, that I took, I didn't, that one, like, that's another, like, you're not really, it's not until it's, you know, almost all laid out before you can hear what's, what was really happening. But 
Because for me, like, at first it sounds like, okay, he's telling her that there's a boy that likes her. And then you do think what she thought, which was, oh, no, he's just doing the opposite and, like, trying to let her know, like, how annoying it is to have some, you know, girl, like, have her trying to chase after him to humiliate her. And then we hear, like, oh, no, he's actually just talking about himself. Um, and, it, like, and, like, a lot of the sentences he uses work if you if you take the word you which we first were interpreting as him saying Rianne you but if you use it as like that weird like one like you uh, there's a uh, boy that likes you uh, is him uh, and the you is just sort of like that general non-specific you then all of that just sort of works like he wasn't ever even saying it to, to be uh, deceptive he like wasn't a clever trick he was just using that like you know, that generic you, um, to describe himself and, uh, and she mis misinterpreted and we misinterpreted two different ways. Um, well, and then so does Rianne, but then he, he goes on yeah. to say, no, we really are talking about you and a boy in your potions class. He does misdirect away from the, you know, the, I yeah. the idea that it's actually him. But then he gets like uh, very sort of transparently like, okay, I can't be about her. Like he starts right. adding in details of it that, could only be him. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that, that's yeah. what I like about it, is that even to somebody who's about to be, you know, uh, mind-wiped, he's still not ready to, like, mm. you know, be forthcoming about it. Yeah, and, and there was kind of a level to it of, yeah, like, like even though he's you sort of got, you know, he's got free reign to say anything to her that he wants, um, he's still, like, we see, like, he doesn't even really regard her as, like, another human like he's like he's almost just like she's a thing to be going uh-huh uh-huh for him to like talk um like everything he's saying is rhetorical and he's not really interested in hearing anything from her so again it comes out like sort of like really like you know so sociopath is kind of a word but just you know a person that doesn't like he's the only person in the room and she's just this like thing that happens to be there that can make noises <laughs> Yeah, until he asks her, like, straight for help. And he's like, all right, yeah. well, how are you at Riddles? I've got this thing that's been on my mind for a little while. Um, up until that point, he might as well just be talking to nobody. I mean, yeah. you know, he, well, he does that, ask. It felt very think, sort of like, like almost matter of fact. It's sort of very, like, just practical and, like, you know, oh, you are you are useful for this purpose. Um, and yeah. again, like, not like, oh, here's a, you know, a person I could talk to about something. It was more like, oh, you might be able to figure out this problem I'm having. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the impression that Snape has had like real yeah. friends. Yeah. Um, that said, too, he does. Uh, I think he's not just soundboarding off of her. I think he's what he's trying to do is like Harry gave him this new understanding of how he related to Lily when he was crushing on her in school. Mm -hmm. And what he's, I think, what he's trying to do here is being is basically see, okay, maybe Harry's just an asshole. Let's ask like an actual schoolgirl. And see if she would feel the same way. And then when she says did he really, yes. I mean, was he, did he really, because my takeaway from it was that he wasn't even really talk like he wasn't interested in her opinion of the thing. It was just sort of like a thing he felt like saying out loud. Because um, I, I, I didn't get the takeaway that he was like actually interested in what she thought about it. Not, not even as like, a, oh, I wonder what some disinterested third party might say, but like he didn't even really care whether or not she much understood what he was saying. I might be remembering that wrong, but that's sort of my impression of it was that she was just kind of like a, a non-entity in the room. I don't know. I think that if she had said, you know, basically he asks her like, you know, how would you feel if you knew that there was some boy in your class who, you know, 
admired you a lot, was always watching you being kind of creepy, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, 16 year old, whatever. Um, I think that if she had said, oh my God, that'd be so romantic, I would be totally into that. I think he would have walked away thinking, yeah. oh, that's fucking awesome. I fucking knew it. I so I think so. yeah, he was she said, listening. She, says it's cre- she does say it's creepy. I guess, yeah. Oh I yeah, she, get the impression she says, he, she yeah. says the opposite. Yeah. But it, I but get the impression though that, that like he much cared about the answer. Like, but yeah, maybe. I think he would have cared if it was something he wanted to hear, maybe. Yeah. And then no, but like, like, I think to hear it creepy like, like that, uh, like, like if he cared, even that, even that answer of it being creepy would, it would be not at all the answer you wanted to hear, but that he would be bothered by it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, then he, he mentions that, uh, that line that you pulled out where he says, it's an odd thing to look back after only 32 years and wonder when your life was ruined past all rescuing. And then he's like, you know, I didn't get a chance to choose my house. Um, and he says that, you know, I guess even if I didn't get a chance to choose, it seems that it's sorted me fairly. But he says, is it fair that some children should possess more courage than others and thus a man's life be judged? And like, he's more like at this point, you're right. He's not talking to her. He's just kind of like talking yeah. to a therapist who won't remember the conversation. Yeah. And so like it puts him, I don't know, in this interesting spot, I, you know, to me, it just sounds like he's a guy who way too young in his life. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to say that it's never too late in your life to change, you know, change and grow. But he's 32 and he's like, yep, nah, my life's my life's ruined. There's no fixing it. And that's just sad. Like he, he's just a, a guy who, you know, had some bummer circumstances. And then uh, one thing led to another. And he's decided that his life is over and beyond rescuing. And it's like, dude, you're 30. Or 32. Yeah, and he's got, and like, I know, and it's like sort of, it's really kind of an interesting because it's this, I mean, it's just this kind of nihilism. I mean, he's very kind of realistic and honest about, you know, okay, I'm, you know, I am ruined and there's no hope for me. And so he's in, in, honest in the sense that he like, I don't get the impression that he's trying to like candy coat or justify any of his actions, but he's also like, like not trying to say it in any kind of way to like, you know, draw any sympathy for for what he's done it's just sort of this like you know what i'm a piece of shit and that's just the way it is and so it's like a Which weird, is a- like well yeah okay like he's, at least like there's something nice about like okay he's not trying to like you know bullshit his way through it and justify it and but also this kind of but he's also not going to do anything about it and that that's the bad part like yeah it's one it's great and that's what you know later or whatever canon snape never really got was like you know, a moment where he says, yeah, God, I suck. I should have done better. This one just says, yeah, I guess I do suck. And he doesn't, he doesn't have this moment of like, you know, I don't have to suck. Yeah, uh, no, it's more like he he's just decided like, he's, he's going like, to go yeah, on I sucking. Suck. Yeah. He's like, oh, you know what? I suck. That should probably bother me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's sort of like, it's kind of, it's like an interesting, uh, kind of a, I mean, it's like dark and sad it's just, to say it's sad. is almost, it's a very like lack of sympathy for it. But it's like a, a kind of a, interesting weird uh vibe for him to be putting out yeah i can't think of a better word um, than sad i mean i know people who are roughly in that position where it's like they've decided way too again way too young like i you know i don't know how pers- i've told people twice my age that i think that it you know if you feel like you want to change and be a better person or be a different person you should totally go for it um you know like the idea that he's you know snape's my age and he's saying, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is who I am. I guess I'm stuck like this. And it's like, fuck that, man. If I woke up tomorrow and thought that I sucked, you can bet your ass I would do something about it. It's uh, totally weird. I guess for movies, like movie-wise, 
they had to change the characters because I was like the, all the teachers in the movies were like in their forties and fifties. Right. Um, I think that sounded about right. But yeah, I get like for the math, the way for the math needs to work out, like this is roughly the age of everybody has to be. But I think like in my head, I had, when I read that for like 32 years, I was like, okay, something was 32 years ago, blah, blah, blah. It never occurred to me like, oh no, he's talking like the dude is 32 years old. I'm like, he's just a punk kid. Like what the fuck? Just well, the other teachers might old. be plenty old in the, <laughs> I'm 47, in the books and the man. movies. But uh, the, I think we picture Snape as older because they needed Alan Rickman to play him. So. Well, yeah. And also like, because if you did like toss in, especially like, you know, by TV and film rules, you know, somebody that's 30 can still play somebody in high school. Um, right. but yeah. But like a 32 year old might be one of like a seventh year in Hogwarts. Um but so yeah, like just to when it, there's going to be a visual around it, you need that to like give people more gravitas. Oh, fun fact um, about the movies that I did learn. Speaking of age, they they cast a 32 year old I think to play Moaning Myrtle. So <laughs> oh that, yeah, I think I've seen uh, she wouldn't age throughout the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I've seen she did some. I saw yeah some video with like something she'd been doing since or something, and like now she's just she still doesn't look her age, but she looks like slightly older. Um, and I mean, there's probably makeup and whatever involved, but yeah. You know, Etc. Um, anyway, I think uh, I don't know. I don't have much else to add about the whole conversation about Lily, Lily Potter, and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, just that we so we do get the I don't know what the hell to make of it, but like he's like, oh, you have to. He, he sort of does an impression of having heard the prophecy to ask her like what she might oh, be yeah, able to make of it. That's yeah, the part I wanted to get to. I was going to yeah. pass the Lily stuff, and move into the prophecy stuff because he's yeah. like, yeah, I suck at riddles. I got, a, I got a riddle once, and I didn't even understand the simplest part until it was too late. I didn't even realize the riddle was for me until it was too late. And so he's just like, it, you know, as, as much as you can fail at a riddle, he failed at every part. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, so I suck at these. I got a question for you as long as, you know, I'm about to mind wipe you. Um, I, I, I got a caveat because we didn't talk about Rianne reflecting at the beginning about how knowing you're about to be mind wiped feels like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And what was the line that she said? Uh, you know, even if she managed to tie up all these loose ends in her mind over the next minute, there wouldn't be anything left afterwards. Wasn't that exactly what you find yourself reflecting on if you're going to die in the next minute? Like, or I guess the line yeah. before that, too. Sorry, this is out of order. She says, but still, these thoughts, the thoughts she was thinking right now, soon nobody would have them anymore. When she looked ahead in the future, there'd be nobody to complete these thoughts that she wasn't finished thinking. And I, I thought that was really well put. I, I can't imagine what it would be like sitting in a room and being told, yeah, we're about to erase your last, and I, you know, she's only she's not losing so much like time as it is just like important thoughts, and so it would just be weird to go somewhere and be like, yep, we're going to erase your last year of memory. Like, yeah, I be, think that would be like it would be more if it was just a small thing. It wouldn't be so much upsetting. Like the only like way I can the only thing I can equate it to is a few times I've had surgery and they give you basic like the most part in the beginning, they give you like amnesia stuff before they give you anything that would actually really help. Um, and just like that thought of like, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to remember this thought I'm having right now. And I remember that now, but I probably kept thinking that and don't remember that anymore. <laughs> like things are like, like in a weird, like insecure, like, Oh my God, what if I say something like embarrassing and then I won't even remember that I said it. Yeah. That'd be an odd situation to be in. Luckily oh, I've never had surgery. Uh, well, not one that I had to be, uh, even Twilight anesthetized for. So yeah. all of the very minor ones I've had, I just said, no, I'm driving myself home. I don't want anything. So they give you local anesthetic and just send you on your way. Um, 
you know, one of these days when they have to cut me up and do something serious, then I'll get to have that fun fear of, you know, is the me of now dying the and me now. the me of five minutes ago will be the one that persists. Yeah, guess, yeah and that's <laughs> like for when it's like, so there's that weird insecurity I had, but it wasn't like, like, so I can get that idea of like, oh, is this like erasing me? Um, but I think it would have to be like a long, like what, she, what Rianne went through here wouldn't feel to me like enough that it would push that button because it wasn't a lot of stuff. Like it's just these few like interactions and that those are going to get erased and they're sort of like significant like for her world, but it's not like huge. It would, it would be what would be upsetting be like, okay, we're going to re- erase the last year of your life. Uh, and that would, and you know, that would totally be upsetting, but I guess it would be the part that would be most upsetting. It wouldn't be so much, I mean, it would, the the loss of the specific memories wouldn't be the part that would feel like dying it would be more like if it was going to if it was going to make it as if the year had never happened and i don't know what this would mean but the like like the the effect that those experiences would have on me like the person it turned me into after that year if that stuck around but i just didn't have the specific memories of the things that caused that then that wouldn't feel like as much of a big deal. I think that's what she's worried about is that, you know, she yeah. mentioned that she got, she enjoyed being on, you know, the good side of things and she's going to forget all of that stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, the, like, this isn't, this isn't like a big chunk of her life, but the, it's a substantial, like yeah. important part of it. And that and its effects are going to be gone. Yeah. And so and she's I guess, like, yeah, the somehow, me like, of now won't like, leave this cave. Yeah. And if she still had that feeling of like, oh, this is what it's like, and yeah, she wouldn't have anything to attach it to, but the feeling of, oh, this is what it feels like to be a good guy. And like what that does for like how she just thinks about herself in the world. Like if that stuck around, but you didn't know why, that would feel like less of a loss. Um, yeah, I get the impression that it's, then if you that lose, she but yeah. it's not going to stick around. Because yeah, then it's just sort of like, yeah, that like you just erase that from history. Yeah, it's um, like, man, I did all this self-improvement over the last few weeks and I'm losing all that now. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go back to the point where I didn't even realize I needed to self-improve. Like, that would be, that would feel terrible. Yeah. Anyway, I, I couldn't move past all that. And, you know, as long as I'm not moving past stuff, there's this throwaway line about how she read that, you know, properly worked obliviation just kind of felt like, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, and that's why, in you know, in her textbook, it said that, uh, uh, what do you call them? Obliviations are approved by the ministry for, like, all official purposes or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Yeah, that's a very nice way for the government to say, this is why we can mind white people. Yeah. Because it's not all that bad. And it's like, it's no, actually, the reason that, that, that memory charms are fully approved is because they're super convenient. Yeah. Let's, let's not, let's not yeah. fuck around here. Those just, in, in my humble opinion, they should be basically unforgivable. Or at the very least, you know, who knows, Snape's probably breaking the law here. But, like, if you're going to use a memory charm, it should require lots of paperwork. Mm-hmm. Like you should need a form signed by somebody else that says yes, there were muggles who saw yeah. this person do magic, so we had to mind wipe them. Um, oh I yes, know. but one of the things I thought was interesting, a thing that he just important. sort of, a thing he just sort of said like sidelong was, uh, and you are going because they bribe her with like a stone uh, with a with a gem, and he, what he said was you're going to remember thinking that it would be a good idea to deposit it into a separate vault in Gringotts. And I thought that was like super interesting, a way to like, that, that's sort of like a, a mind control thing in that, like you're the heavy suggestive power it would have to have them remember it as a thing they thought, like how much are you going to just trust that as well? Okay. That's, that is totally what I think. Cause clearly I thought it at some point. 
Um, and that, like how much control you could, like how much you could influence people to do things just by planting in them. Cause I guess it's not just that like you can erase memories, it's that you can cause memories to exist, uh, which must be how they, uh, um, the Rita Skeeter scam was pulled. But, uh, but well, it's because, cause he's going to say like, okay, you're, you're going to think that you were just exploring this cave and you found a gem and then you're going to remember thinking that nobody would believe you. So you should probably hide the fact that you have it and deposit it into a separate account. Like all of those are co- complete. So it's not just that he's like erasing her memory of what she did with Snape. He's also like replacing it with different memories. And what could, what kind of ways could you influence people and like screw with their heads and just alter even their opinions about stuff by planting memories of their own opinion of things? Like he's, cause what he says, like you're going to remember thinking it would be a good idea to, uh, put it in a, in a different vault, which sounds like, like if we've decided that's, you know, possible to, create memories and that sounds totally plausible but then like the implication of that is like how much can you fuck with somebody's head if you can change their recollection of what their own thoughts are like you are remembering how's that tie into rita skeeter oh just that because we have the um like she got fooled i can't even remember what it was but like uh harry's like he faked her out and like he got the uh weasley twins to do some kind of like misinformation Something so I can't remember what it, was, what it was, but she said like, "Oh, she saw the document or something." I can't even remember now what the scam was. Uh, it was some long convoluted thing that we never get yeah. the full digest of. But yeah, but but like the implication was like, "Oh, yeah," because then Quirrell's like, "Oh, like oh, that would be impossible to do." Yada yada yada. And it's like, "Oh, well, no, yeah," but she was probably just convinced that it was a thing that had happened that never actually happened. Um, so she's got like a fake memory of it. Huh. That's what. I well, like the way you're thinking about it. As as though he doesn't know whether or not it's true. Um, okay. Well, no, so, I mean, so, well, we've as, as long as we're... so we've we've established that here that you can you know cause memories to happen. It's not just that you can erase things and and then they've got this blank spot that they can't explain. That he's replacing those memories with with fake memories. And if you can do that, that can you can cause all kinds of mischief if you can. Um, and not only, so yeah, we get to see like, oh, not only can you, um, you know, plant fake memories of experiences, but he's even able to plant fake memories of thoughts, um, that she's remembering having thought a thing that she never thought. And if you can convince somebody that they thought something, then that like totally doesn't end run around all of their, you know, guards about their own opinions. Cause you're like, oh, well, apparently this is a thing I thought. I wonder now, like from the top of the ladder paranoia, it could be that Narcissa Malfoy just ran out on Lucius and Draco when, you know, Draco was one or something. And Dumbledore, instead of actually killing this beloved wife and mother, he just implanted memories that, oh, yeah, you had this beloved wife and mother. And uh, I killed her. And I killed her. Or, yeah, like, or something else happened. She, like, died for some other reason or whatever. But then, yeah, he could actually, not just, oh, I killed her, but, like, he could, you know, he could generate a few eyewitnesses. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I petrified you and put you in the corner while you watched me, you know, burn her to death. Or yeah. Something. And then you somebody's like this vivid memory of watching her like burn to death and yeah, be fucked up. All right. Yeah. Well, that's pretty wild. So we should touch on the prophecy stuff that he asks her about because the 
power to vanquish him is the part that he's asking about. Um, you know, if, if a man were carrying a knife and he tripped over a baby and stabbed himself, would you say that the boy, or that the baby had the power to vanquish him? Vanquish him. <laughs> she's like, uh, no. And it's no. like, yeah, that's... that's I like how he's like, he's, he's very transparently talking about Voldemort, but he never actually says that. Like, it's right. so transparent that, like, she should be able to pick up on what he's talking about, but... But no. Yeah, she, she picks up on a prophecy anyway. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, because the, the accepted narrative in the world is that like, oh, yeah, you know, Harry Potter is this magic kid who rebounded a killing curse. And that's how he survived because of him being somehow magically unique or some weird shit. So like mm-hmm. people just have that accepted thing. So like she's not going to put that on her list of like, uh, I don't know, things consider because that's already like something she yeah. quote understands. But yeah, to the like, it couldn't be uh, more obvious to anyone who knows about you know he couldn't have this conversation with i don't know someone more in the loop yeah Um, yeah. so anyway uh i did like how (laughs) um when it's like mark the baby as the as as it's as is equal and she says uh you know how would you what mark would signify a baby was your equal and her first thought was well if you signed a betrothal contract that would mean you'd be equals with them someday when they grew up and you got married that that's probably not it but thank you for trying <laughs> yeah, I like that. yeah and it sort of like like drew attention to that again like oh what does that mean that they are equal and you're like ah yes well i just um, i just like his it did his make, and, but we did like talk yeah that was probably wasn't it but yeah we did he did talk about it being specifically like the mark and so that like i didn't know what to make of that but that's the fact that he was talking about is a, a he was thinking about is like oh it might be like a, an actual physical mark um so that just got me you know my gears churning about okay what you know is that some something about a ritual with horcruxes something something but like it sort of brought it up as being like turning that into some something with very sort of specific meaning rather than just a phrase that was used and they're like oh is there something about marks that he's probably not talking about the uh death mark or you know or the scar yeah um, yeah 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 so we'll see um, maybe but yeah so then he but he wants he's like oh but you have to hear a curse in order to or a um a prophecy, prophecy. In order to really understand it so i'm going to do an impression of one and you tell me what it sounds like uh which i thought was just kind of weird but uh so then what he says to her in all caps uh was that f- uh so and i guess he's what like doing an impression of trelawney um and I'm guessing yeah, she sounds weird. different when she's prophesying yeah. than when she's and, not. Oh, well, and because it, it sounds like we're like sort of simulating an accent. I don't know. But so what he says is, for those two different spellets cannot exist in the same vuld. And so I get it sounds like that those two different spirits cannot exist in the same world. Uh, but, so I don't know what the hell to make, make of that. I'm sure that's going to be significant later, but I have no clue. Um, Spellets are actually this really important, like soul thing. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. no, actually, I go- I Google like is a spell it a thing? Spell it is not anything. Um, <laughs> it is not a word. Um, I think that when Trelawney had her prophecy on Harry's first Sunday, that it was like this weird shrieking voice, and so I got the impression that like it's not her normal speaking voice. Yeah, what it made me th- what I was thinking was like oh. So he's now going to say it in a way that's going to let us know that that everybody has been mishearing what was really said the first the the original time, but that's I'm trying to I'm like I don't know what the hell to make of that sentence, but 
Um, now I want to go. Do you have? You don't happen to have in front of you? Like, what was the? Because we've heard the word for word original version of the whole prophecy before, so this uh, would just be one sentence in that, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would have been gonna, what's in it. I don't think we got it with that same intonation. Um, yeah, no, I'm that, that I'm wasn't, that like wasn't how it was when we were handed the whole prophecy. Think. Like, I forget where that was. Um, I guess if you're googling, be careful if you look for if you find spoilers. But um, in fact, I would just stand back just in case. I can tell you that I think when we got it, it was like her, it was McGonagall thinking the whole prophecy, and I don't think giving the whole thing to Harry. But Here, just look it up. It the, wasn't in that same kind of accenty speak. Yeah, I'm wondering what the. Um, let's see where that. Da, 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 I cannot exist. Yeah, while you Google, I'll just ramble through the part, rest of the part of the chapter. Um, All right, it is for those two different spirits. I just found it. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must destroy all but a remnant of the other, for those two different spirits cannot exist in the same world. So I guess it's, it's a weird word, like if you were going to show somebody like, or, you know, have somebody mispronouncing or an accenty pronunciation of the word spirits that spell it seems like just a really weird word for that to turn into i have nothing to offer there hmm. now you don't know if i'm being genuine in my ignorance or not so I don't know. we're exactly where i want yeah, I to be you're right exactly i guess i i, I turned off from google and i just uh, did a search in the the ebook version for cannot exist and oh. i found it Back in chapter Smart. twenty-three, I think. Yeah, I knew it was somewhere around there. I was I was skimming chapter twenty-four. I guess I should have looked one earlier. Anyway, moving past it. Don't you look for the rest of the appearances of that in the rest of the book, or you're fired. Fired. Oh, so so apparently it will. Okay. I mean, I don't yeah, know. If I think. Will. I honestly I don't, don't remember if the rest of the prophecy is ever said again. But if it is, it's after that. this point. So. Uh, oh, it's actually chapter twenty-eight. Right. Chapter well, seventy-six. Chapter 86, chapter 111. I'm just looking at the chapters as they come up. I'm not actually reading it. but Yes, apparently it appears uh, two more times. Great. Well, you quit fucking around. You keep cheating and I'm going to not give you any credit for any any correct guesses you get. All right. So, yeah. And I think that's kind of – and so 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 he's about to obliviate her and – and she finally gets up the courage to she asks for a kiss and he's just kind of like ah, sure fuck it why not um, and it's like a super I, I like, like another one of these like big expectations are built up and it becomes like very mundane and disappointing um, so he kisses her very badly uh, and then it occurs to her it's like wait a minute that was so bad that like and she's about to ask like was that your first kiss basically is what she's about to ask but he like obliviates her I think even before she can finish the sentence and, yeah he's yeah. not a good kisser apparently but yeah, that was and sort of she, like the the thing, like I think that had a lot to do with it, with sort of like the very unsympathetic, because I think we sort of have this like, like, like Beauty and the Beast formula for, oh, the like downtrodden, bitter, harsh person is actually secretly this wonderful person. And that's kind of what the, like the original books did with Snape is like, oh, he's got the sympathetic backstory to explain the shittiness. Uh, but then like this one, like, no, this is like, it's just shitty all the way through. Um, because he sort of, and like this did it a lot where it's, um, because he's sort of like very flippant about it. He's like, ah, fuck, okay, sure. Kiss you. But and then he does it badly. But then it's this like, like the backstory to that is, oh no, because you've been such a, you know, ghoul of a person your whole life that nobody has ever wanted to get that close to you. Um, 
and that's sort of like this just this sort of like like you don't we don't normally get that you know way that characters get uh drawn in a book um so that was weird and and just like like bitterly kind of realistic you're like oh no that that like feels more true he's just like this dude that's just been sort of like just dishing out the pain he's been giving to everybody else to just share the misery um and he's fully aware that that's a thing he does um so yeah yeah i see what you're saying i'll i'll read the i'll read us out into the next one uh and this is where I get the impression that like all the self-growth that she had had over the last few weeks is gone. So it says, mm. Rianne Felthorn blinked at the stone she had discovered, still holding the extraordinary ruby she had found embedded in the dirt of one corner. It was an incredible windfall, and she didn't know why looking at the ruby made her feel so sad, like she had forgotten something, something that had been precious to her. Yeah. 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 The, only, the other thing, and I put this in my notes, the other, and I don't know if this is just sort of like the just the necessary case of the situation things are in or if this kind of an intentional uh, vibe underneath it. But so there's this whole, especially because she's got this like, oh, I want to have inappropriate sex with my teacher thing the whole time. But there is this like undercurrent during this whole scene of, oh, Snape could do any kind of like evil rapey thing with this girl right now and he's totally going to get away with it. Uh, it's like ironclad. And so like the implication of that though is that he does not choose to and and where i'm not sure like you sort of can't avoid like that's going to be true of this scene. you can't write that out of being part of the scene of um like he either does that and the horrible thing happens or the the fact that he doesn't do it means that he had to choose not to do it uh and so we're sort of like like he and i guess maybe like his sort of flippancy maybe how we kind of like dismiss that but what kept going through the back of my head was like okay that like we we're forced to look at the fact that he's made a conscious choice to not do a monstrous thing right here and does that mean that there is a you know a not shitty side to snape um or it's like just not his flavor of evil um but i think maybe like like the way that he's just sort of like like flipping about it and like he's like okay sure yeah fuck it we'll kiss you sort of like like that's kind of negates the like it addresses that concern he's just like fucking not interested he doesn't care uh, without it like turning into a like oh he gets credit for making an ethical decision but yeah but that may just I mean, be like because that's just such points. like an implied like that's already put in our heads like okay weird inappropriate student teacher sex thing is already planted in our heads because that's uh what she would like to have happen um so it's sort of like this unavoidable thought like it's a thing that we can't not you know decide it's not just that, oh, it happened. It's like, okay, we've decided either that's not happening or that is affirmatively happening or it's, or it's definitely not happening. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I guess I my I never got the read that he did anything beyond what she asked. Um, no, I think he didn't. And what I was not yeah. sure is like, are we to take that as a, oh, he has explicitly made an ethical decision? Um, and I wasn't sure. I'm thinking now I mean, he hardly has to be not. a hero to not decide to, you know, have his way with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you, like you were talking about with false memories or something, like it would be insanely easy with, uh, and I mean, Quirrell touches on this in that spew yeah. monologue he gives about Voldemort's yeah, we, like parents. This, but, this has been tossed around, like this has already been planted in our heads as an idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's been implanted in the heads of every disgusting fan fiction author for, yeah. you know, since the, since Polyjuice and, uh, I mean, there was, I remember seeing something, you know, years and years ago. It was like, you, you know, remember when Harry goes to Diagon Alley and someone's selling like fingernails or something? 
Like, those are probably celebrity fingernails for Polyjuice to go home and give to your partner that night. Mm. So for one night, you can fuck Chris Evans. Like, I mean, the the, the whole, yeah. like, like, let's not, you, you can't peddle around the fact that the Harry Potter universe is just saturated with weird, disgusting. Yeah. There's weird yeah. sex stuff to be had all, all over the place. Totally. And, you know, it, there are people in our world who, you know, who sell their used underwear and stuff. I mean, if I was a, an attractive celebrity, you can bet I'd be selling my fingernail clippings, you know? I guess <laughs> if I needed the money. I don't know. All right. Well, past all that, let's go. Yeah, I guess, like, but I guess, like, the fact the the way that he was just sort of glib about it and and then bad about it, I think that was sort of like the way that you sort of address slash defuse that idea while also like not giving him any credit for you know being the upstanding guy because um, like we were just primed to like it couldn't be a it couldn't be a non event he was like whatever happened was then definitely for us like it either it wasn't just that a it wasn't a neutral. It was a, okay, it definitely didn't happen, so what does that mean? And I guess we, we got enough info there to say, okay, yes, it didn't happen, but he doesn't get any credit for it. Yeah. I mean, he would lose credit if he did do bad stuff, but you don't really get credit for not doing bad stuff. Yeah. You only get credit for doing good stuff. Yeah. That sounds fair. Yeah, that's a, that actually does sound fair. You don't get credit yeah. for an action. All well, right. yeah, if, like, well, and also, but if there were, a, I mean, he would get a little bit of credit if for some reason we had it planted in here that like, you know, he does dig her and would totally like to sleep with his student, but he knows that it's wrong and he decides not to, then he would get some credit for that. Um, especially if it's that like, oh, he totally would be into it. Um, and he knows he would totally get away with it, but he still makes the decision not to do it for no other reason than it is a wrong thing to do, then I would give, like, that would be credit. I would give him credit for that. But I think we're just sort of like, ah, he's just not interested. So he gets neither up or down. Yeah, no, totally. I think I see where you're coming from exactly now. Like, if, if it was clear that he resisted temptation, then, hey, you know, good on you. That's actually cool. Because um, yeah. then he's actually doing something. He's not acting on a, a temptation that he has. As yeah. it is, like he was never going to be like, "Hey, you want to make out?" But when she was like, "Hey, want to kiss?" and he was like, "Ah, fuck it, might as well." Like it yeah. clearly showed that he he wasn't really invested in it. So, um, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, okay. I yeah, I won't rehash it because we've got <laughs> the next chapter to move on to. But I do understand mm-hmm. now. So, all right, next chapter. I love the whole opening. Basically, it's Dumbledore working at his desk writing something. And it says, there's this line that I like. Um, if you'd somehow been there to watch his lined face, you would have been unable to deduce anything more about the man himself than you understood of the enigm- enigmatic devices. You might have of there. <laughs> you might have observed that the face looked a little sad, a little tired, but then Albus Dumbledore always looked that way when he was alone. And it's like, aw. Oh. Um, but so he's sitting there, he's working on something, and then when the pill, when the quill was in the middle of penning a word, even as it was was in the middle of scratching a letter, the old wizard shot to his feet with a speed that would have shocked anyone watching, abandoning the quill in mid-letter to fall on the parchment. Like lightning, he spun on the oaken door, his yellow robes whirling around him and, and a wand of dread power leaping to his hand. And it's like that that whole badass like he's sitting there being, you know, tired and sad by himself, working on his, you know, whatever drudgery that he has to do, and at the instant of warning, he like just goes into full action battle mode. I know. I like, yeah, because you get sort of like these little demonstrations of, okay, this guy is incredibly powerful. He's like acting like fuddy daddy old man all the time, but this is the most powerful wizard in the world. Love it. That's pretty cool. It reminded me of, uh, there's this cool, if you've never seen this cool movie from the 90s called The Prophecy, which is like an early Vico Mortensen. Uh, it was not even starring him. He had a small role in it. He played the devil. But there, so it was like these angels were 
characters in it all the time, but they were, they, they didn't look at all like angels. Um, and there was this sort of recurring thing of like, they would, they could smell each other if I'm remembering right, but it would just be like, they'd be randomly talking and suddenly one of them would like turn, put their head up and like sniff the air real quick. And then they would like jump through a wall. Cause they could tell that like there was some other, somebody else there. They would just do something like out of nowhere. They would just stop suddenly and then like crash through a wall to go attack somebody or something. I think some other guy attacked them, but yeah, it's just this suddenly like, Oh, what? Bam. Like, I like that. Nowhere. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie, yeah. but it, it puts in mind of the scene from Man cool. of Steel when I forget the whole rest of the plot, but he just got done like saving Lois Lane at the end and like they're kissing in some cornfield or whatever. And then he kind of just like tips, tips his head a little bit and then just immediately shoots into the sky and flies away like faster yeah. than you can see because he heard some, I'm guessing hundreds of miles away, his mom's farm being attacked. Oh, yeah. And so he's just like, oh, we're having a moment. And he's like, oh, I'm fucking. He doesn't even say <laughs> I'm out of here. He's just, he just, boom, he's gone. But yeah. Anyway. Just watch it. Prophecy. Chris Walken is Evil Angel Gabriel. Eric Stiles. Okay. I got to see this. Dope movie. You had me Virginia sold Madsen. at Elrond Plays the Devil, but I'm now sold at Chris Walken. Virginia Madsen, the sister of Mr. Blonde. It's going to make no sense to you at all. Is that um, from Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> yes. The, yes. Mr. Blonde from, uh, uh, Free Willy. <laughs> no, wait. There wasn't a That's Mr. Blonde, weirdly, was there? Encyclopedic movie trivia. Mr. Blonde from uh, Michael Madsen was Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. And then he also was like the dad or whatever in Free Willy. His sister is Virginia Madsen, who is the lead actress in The Prophecy. And she was also the narrator in the David Lynch Dune movie. Nice. There you go. Your knowledge of movies runs deep. Yes. And that was Viggo Mortensen before he was uh, Aragorn. Oh, he said Viggo Mortensen. For some reason, I put yeah, Viggo in, Mortensen. Uh, Viggo Mortensen played Lucifer, a very creepy, awful. Yeah, it's pretty. pretty okay, cool. Viggo Mortensen is even like cooler little, than Lucifer. Like, well, I was thinking, little Tommy Daggett, you used what's, to what's pray it? in your bed at night, worried that I was under your bed, and you know what? I was. All right, this sounds awesome. First cool. of all, it's, when you said Viggo Mortensen, for some cool. reason, my mind went to Elrond and not Aragorn. What's Elrond's real name? Why am I blanking on it? Uh, I just saw Matrix. Um, Hugh, Hugh, Hugo Weaving. Okay, yeah, I don't know why I thought that was uh, Viggo Mortensen was. Anyway, so I was sold on Elrond. I'm even more sold on Aragorn playing the devil. I'm going to watch The Prophecy in the next couple That's of days. Cool. But That's I can't do it right now because we're talking cool. about Chapter 77. Let's keep going, man. <laughs> Trying to yes. segue us back into the thing that we're doing. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So, what I call this chapter, this chapter is Karen Potter and the complaint to your manager. And um, I put in parentheses, shots fired, shots exclamation fired. point. Now, I just realized, so I think the uh, the author's intent, capital A authors, capital I intent, was clearly that Harry's being a dick and we're not supposed to like it. Um, I can't wait until we have the author on. It gets to be like, this is when he was now. being a dick and this is when he wasn't. <laughs> Uh, I guess you know, honestly, like, oh, I, I did. I was like, was I did I avoid every instance of just not being like saying some kind of petty bullshit? Please, I think you're hard. totally allowed to. I like I said, I no, that's I like, what I've been like super hyper careful about. Is like, yeah, I like totally think, and even saying like, oh, you know what? I think he can be kind of a dick, but like, am I like, am I going to come back later and be like, that was just some like petty lame shit I just said, and I really wish I hadn't like that. I'm hopefully not haven't said anything and I'm not going to say anything that I'm not going to later be willing to go like, uh, yeah, you know what? I said that I did say that. All right. Well, the so, odds of the author being on are actually fairly small and, yeah. uh, I wouldn't want you to curtail your like discussion. No, that's not like, no, that. am I going to, no, it's not so much that it's like, no. Yeah. So I like, don't like it, but am I going to like, there's the, 
you know, if I'm not liking it, can I say it in some way that's not like petty and lame and vindictive? Oh, I will ask of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you should do that for anything, you know, whether or not you'll ever talk to the author. Like if something sucks, I want to hear about why it sucks and how it could have been better. Not just like, that was lame. That was lame. Oh, and he's a dick. Comic book guy. Yeah, exactly. I watched the first half hour of like an hour and 47 minute video on YouTube by, uh, the YouTube channel is called The Closer Look. It's great. He gives like writing and uh, story building, um, examples through uh like usually movies or books and i'm not a writer but you know i i think that if anyone has new aspirations to write there's lots of cool stuff to learn from it but he's like 30 minutes into his almost two hour video on how the last three star wars movies sucked and it's not two hours of him saying and this sucked and that sucked it's it's all wonderful examples of like here's how this could have been here's here's mm-hmm. what the scene did wrong man with this one small change it would have gone so much better um and he also does like you know positive note movies too there's one that i really liked called uh and now i'm the one derailing us but i want to give a good <laughs> good sell of this guy's youtube channel called uh how to write a villain i think or how to write an intro whatever it was it was had the 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 joker from the dark knight series on it and it was awesome. So he does a lot of like, this is how this was amazing. You guys should check this out. Um, anyway, check out the Closer Look YouTube channel. Free plug. Uh, I expect him to, you know, return the favor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think he has somewhere in like the hundreds of thousands of subscribers, if not millions. So we so don't we have quite tell, that level. So that's that's uh, that's a good ROI for on our part. Yeah, especially if he plugs <laughs> us back. Yeah. Um, anyway. So Dumbledore badassly jumps to his feet and was going to Superman the door down and presumably, I don't know, explode everything into space. But then he's going to smite shit. Right. He was going to he was going to smite some shit. And then he somehow, I guess, just knows it's Harry Potter. What I like about like then after we because we learn at the end of this chapter that it was more time turner fuckery that let Harry sneak in like that. But that so then thinking about it later that that would have just been that would have been the moment that harry just sort of appeared from the future exactly. uh, and so that would have been like dumbledore just instantly sensing that somebody just appeared outside the door and like i'm gonna go fuck their ass up and it's a strange turn of phrase brian um but the, yeah it's <laughs> gonna like smite shit like instantly it's kind of cool to be like oh he just sort of instantly detects that like somebody just appeared outside the door so, yeah he's he's always on guard um Anyway, so I guess maybe just determining from the level of magic or something from the person out there, but he's like, yeah. all right, yeah, it's fucking Harry. Come on in. And uh, then Harry comes in and proudly announces very, very, as you put it, you know, calmly and charmingly expresses his concerns. It's like the first like, okay, yeah, Harry's just being a dick this chapter. Uh, yes, because it's, again, the word I like talking about Harry, grandiose. So he says, <laughs> I, I didn't get the part before, but basically... Dumbledore's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Um, and Harry says, I can go anywhere I choose, with or without permission, that boy said. His voice seemed calm, too calm, perhaps. I'm in your office because I decided to be here, to hell with passwords. You are greatly mistaken, Headmaster Dumbledore. You think that I stay in this school because I am a prisoner here. I simply have not chosen yet to leave. Now, keeping that in mind, why did you command your agent, Professor Snape, to break the agreement we had in this office, and that he would not torment any student in your fourth year or below? I want to speak to your manager. Well, okay. I, I don't want to butt heads on, ever, on literally manager. everything in this, in this exchange. Um, but like, 
yes, the grandiosity at the beginning, I think, is to kind of build up, like, by the way, take me seriously. And the second thing is, like, kind of legit. Like, hey, you said Snape wouldn't be a dick. What's going on here? Now, well, yeah, he- that's the thing, though. Like, I think, but the, all of that, if if we were really supposed to take uh, Harry serious, not like the, on the content, but <clears throat> if we were supposed to think that this is a, like a valid way to, you know, deal with the world and interact with others, then these would not be the words that were chosen for. <clears throat> so Harry comes in with this like, you know, totally valid concern that, hey, how was Snape allowed to fuck with the kids? We said that he couldn't, <clears throat> but you wouldn't have him coming in here sounding like Karen. Um, and yeah, so and like unnecessarily grant, like what the fuck does like I am here because I decided to be here into hell with passwords. It's got like fuck all to do with the issue at hand. Um, so he's just sort of like coming in here and like strutting and puffing his chest in like a like not at all useful and totally unflattering way. You know what would have been, I think, a better move on Harry's part would have been to come in, like maybe I don't know, sends Dumbledore an owl and say, "Can I come by tonight at seven? And Dumbledore would have definitely said yes. And then he could say, mm-hmm. hey, look, I'm curious what's going on here. I trust that you're not an asshole. So, like, but I'm confused yeah, because you know, he did asshole like, things. There was so, no like, point at all in the, like, the no, yeah. entrance was, like, helped. It was, like, not even necessary. It, it would have been nice if he had tried the nice way first or something, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, we get no indication that he did, so I'm assuming he didn't. Yeah, uh, and it's I not like was, he's I, like impressing Dumbledore with it. It's not like, oh, I'd better take what Harry says more seriously because he was able to sneak into my office. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think Dumbledore's scared. I think that from what we saw before he realized it was Harry, that Dumbledore was not the least bit scared. Yeah. Um, Harry probably didn't realize how much danger he put himself in by appearing that way. And if Dumbledore had just smote the door down and smashed Harry to bits, he would have felt pretty fucking <laughs> stupid was, about his cleverness. And that was the end of the book. And then Dumbledore accidentally killed the boy who lived. <laughs> the end. I mean, how funny would it be? I mean, God, I would read this fanfiction this chapter. I think we all learned a valuable lesson about courtesy. So it would have been funny if Harry didn't die, but Harry just gets like, you know, seriously wounded and spends the next week in the hospital wing. And Harry's sitting there thinking like, okay, you know what? Next time I'm not going to be an asshole and try and kick the door. And I'm going to, you know, ask nicely before I bug the most powerful person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, like that all gets lost. Like even if he like was going to come in unannounced, he still could have just like, you know, gone to the bottom of the stairs and be like, hey, I want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a magical like uh, intercom that trans- transits exactly. Dumbledore's office. Like there's no way Dumbledore is not aware of people knocking at the golems exactly. guarding the door. Anyway, um he comes in and then Dumbledore points out, he's like, yes, there are four, there were 14 owls that were sent to powerful families last night. Um, by powerful, I think it's noble ones, rich ones, or ones uh, with seats in the Wizengamot, mm-hmm. um, or ones allied with your enemies. Or in the case of Robert Jugson, all three for his father, Lord Jugson. Which Lord is just, uh, Jugson. That actually sounds like a badass name. It's a Death Eater and his grandfather, a Death Eater who died by Alistair Moody's wand. And Jackson, the Jackson name doesn't work for me as far as I guess I think Jughead when I hear it like me, me too but something about it, it Lord robs him Jugson. I think if you put Lord in front of just about anything it's pretty bad exactly but uh, Fauntleroy not even really Lord Potter because like you know that surnames often came from like professions and it's yeah. like alright cool so your ancestors like made pottery but I don't know what Jugson's I think did, not Lord right? I think Lord the name was always the place um like you were Lord, blah blah blah. It was actually that wasn't your family name. That was the name of the place that you were the Lord of. I oh. think. No, no, that that 
That makes sense. Um, Although, what, uh, what's that? What's that British? Uh, what's that show that I can't remember now? The Downton uh, Abbey. Yeah, Downton Abbey. Oh, good. Like, that's I, British like, show. You, I think he was Lord Downton, and Downton was not their family name. It was Downton was the place. I, I'll take your word for it. I never saw it. It was actually pretty but, good. I mean, it was cool. like glacially slow and made you wonder why you were having sympathy for these pampered aristocrats. But that's kind of why I didn't watch yeah. it. Not because you know I, I'm okay with having sympathy for pampered aristocrats. There's a funny show called Shit's Creek that's like that, except funny and fast. Um, my, mainly, it was like, yeah, this is a long build, and I don't have ten hours to burn for waiting <laughs> for it to get good. So that's like the downside of a handful of shows, like the Netflix superhero shows. I'm, I know we're we're meandering a lot in this episode. I'll try and get us back on gear. Um, but like the Netflix superhero shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, I liked mm. actually the first seasons, but then I tried to rewatch season one of Daredevil with my wife and like, it doesn't get good until like episode eight. Yeah, so Like there, there then, are great, there are great moments. Um, so, what did then, you think about season two? Of Daredevil? Yeah. Was that, that was on Punisher, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just thinking what I like. That is like my, cause I really, really liked that first season. And to me, it was like, what the fuck happened? Cause the second season was just like comically bad but maybe i'm only remembering it being the last episode no i think like it just like went to shit it was like they i don't know what they did or the last season was it were there only two seasons i can't remember i can't remember i do know the last season was was just i like the first season a lot and i like the first season of jessica jones a lot and i watched like the first three episodes the second season of jessica jones and i just couldn't get back into it and then i heard uh scott daly some years later saying or months later whenever on the doofcast that he was, by the way, also Doof Media, if you can tell from the name, um, that he watched it and it was like, yeah, it gets good at like episode seven of 10. And I'm, and <laughs> like, and even he sounded put out by that. And I'm just thinking, man, that is a long time to ask somebody to wait for this to get good. Yeah, it's I one thing to sit, like to sit down for a movie I where think, the first third yeah. is boring. But yeah, it's been a while. I liked it sooner than that. I, think. I can't remember exactly, but season two of the, Jessica Jones. The superhero of my people. He's the Irish superhero. So. Oh no, I meant just Irish. season two of Jessica Jones. Oh, Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really oh, liked. Yeah, you know I liked was. season one, but I couldn't get into season two. I also really liked the first half of Luke Cage. I didn't like the Luke Cage. I didn't like. And then when they, like, where would they put them all three together in that, that show? That was not good. I like how what you said called? all three and not all four because Iron Fist doesn't really count. Oh, fuck that guy. I, you know, I blocked Iron Fist from my. Oh my god, that's fucking lame. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man, Iron Fist and dude and the actor they got like you got a bad actor to play a bad character and yeah, yeah, bad dialogue, yeah. bad everything. No, no all sir, right. I don't so like it. moving past all that, um, so Harry's basically here saying, "Look, the fuck's going on here? Why did you have Professor Snape?" Uh, you know, smack down Hermione in front of the entire class, or in front of the entire school. And so Dumbledore's explaining, he's like, look, I had hoped that with Hermione uh, being defeated by only having her feelings hurt, that it would put a complete stop to this. He would have escalated this to insanity. And the only thing I could think of was like, all right, she needs to lose in front of everybody. And she did. And then the defense professors, you know, jumped in and gave her back all those points. So now the dispute will go to the board of governors and Severus will conquer the defense professor, but that won't feel the same as same to the Slytherins, probably because it won't be public. I have no idea what the, yeah. where the board of governors could mean, but I doubt it's at the, you know, dinner table during uh, Hogwarts meals, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, she, she didn't get her full, you know, getting smacked down in front of everybody. And this is kind of where, like, I'm sympathetic to Harry's position because it's like, dude, 
if your plan to make things okay involves making a 12 year old girl cry, not just, you know, not just a, a 12 year old girl, the nicest 12 year old girl on the planet. Mm -hmm. If your plan like to victory makes her cry, then you're doing it wrong. Yes. So I think it was interesting because I don't know, maybe this is again, like my predispositions on what is and is not acceptable. Uh, are different than the target audience, but because I do think like definitely this scene plays out as um, not it like Dumbledore didn't win this scene, uh, but he certainly came off as less of a dick. Um, but like it's still and like like the same conversation before. There's less. Um, it's not that like oh Dumbledore is speaking the gospel and we all need to listen to what he says. Um, like he's got. The, the fact that he was just going to sit around and let and let all the bullying happening uh, is not cool. Um, but it it's like but he seems like he's he's if you had to pick a winner he wins uh, he just didn't like wins hands down. Like Dumbledore's points are all pretty good and kind of like the but you can't sit there and do nothing about it is like the only like sticking point on Harry's side of it because everything else like Harry brings up it's not only like okay you're not great on the content but also um, why would anybody want to be on your side with you acting like this? I think like the big take like for all the points that Harry brings up um, over and over again it's well yes but why does that mean that you unilaterally get to make that decision on behalf of everybody else just because you thought about it really hard and decided what the right thing was? I think um, I think Harry would say because he's the only one who's, who will do anything. Like, everyone else sees it and is fine with it. Yeah, that's... I, but did he try? Not really. Not really at all. Like, and it was sort of goes back to when I thought, like, the what I thought originally for a second was what was happening when the 40 clan members showed up when I thought okay they're not 40 clan members they're actually 40 of the good guys that have come to beat up the bullies like that the Hermione way of doing it would have been okay this is bad this is fucked up let me go rally the troops and get the help of everybody and that this be like a you know that if this is bad and it is a good idea to change it, then probably more than just me will think that that's true and be willing to be involved. And also there might be parts of this that I'm wrong about and I should probably bounce this off of a couple people. Um, and that's sort of like the big crime in all of this for Harry is that he's kind of, he does have that like savior of humanity, you know, mindset of like, Oh, it's only up to me. Nobody else could possibly handle this. And clearly, um, everybody else in the world is just stupid and or malicious and just doesn't want to do the right thing. And I'm the only person that knows what the right thing to do is. So I just have to do it myself. And anybody that disagrees with me is clearly just bad. Um, it, it puts me in a tough spot. Cause like, I really love the idea because it, you know, the, I, the, I was reading it too fast. My first read through to consider that like the people coming out, right. Well, right. White robes might've been the good guys. Um, or maybe I just remembered that, you know, when the bullies got the notes that said that they would be wearing white. But how cool would it have been if there were, you know, 40 good guys there to beat up the handful of bullies or whatever? Like, that'd yeah, cool. I mean, how cool. Yeah, if it was like, okay, yeah, they, you know, the, the heroines are there and, you know, a dozen goons from uh, Slytherin, or a dozen goons from apparently, you know, the bad guys are shown up to, to beat them up. And then suddenly, you know, 40 of everybody you know it's not even so much the good guys it's and that's the vibe of it it wouldn't be the effectiveness of it wouldn't be that like oh a bunch of the good guys showed up and there's more good guys than bad guys it would be and the reason why it would work it would be that everybody showed up 
like the you know capital E everybody that you guys aren't welcome here because the entire population has decided that this is not okay with us, uh, and that, that would be like been, a very that would have been really cool. I yeah. guess, and that's like, the, and that, that's what I thought. Like, that's the kind of the Hermione kind of hero is that it's not this reflection of Hermione is so amazing that she can save the day, is that Hermione can you know inspire everybody to do the right thing. Um, and it's sort of like, she's not, it's not that she's powerful. It's that she's just able to, you know, she just channels everybody's power. And that's sort of like the opposite of the, like the grandiose version is, you know, it's not about me. It's about us. Um, I really like that. I guess my, my only sticking point on that is like, then I'm imagining it. And if the 12 bullies who had been trained by death eaters, who were trained by Voldemort decided, no, fuck you guys, then it would have turned into this big scale fight. And at least with Harry's way, it was set up in such such a way that no one would get hurt. Yeah. Well, no, but the, yeah, the Hermione version of it, though, would have been that like it would have been like 12 Death Eaters and they're super powerful. But they would have seen that like, oh, if we're doing this, we're not just like it's not this. Oh, these people over here that we have to beat, that everybody is against us. We have to take on everybody if we want to do this. And that that's sort of like the power of it. It's not even so much the like, oh, the people that are here are going to be able to beat you up because we brought enough people. It's that you guys have now declared yourself as against everyone and that then you are going to have to fight everyone from now on if you want to do that. That would be sort of like non like and then, and then it's not like a you know a power struggle asserting dominance over somebody. It's just the like, dude, you're fighting the tide, you can't do that. Um is the like more, or, and short of that, if like if Harry's approach to it had just been like, you know what, this is fucked up. Let me get some people, let, let me form a team. Um it, like the Avengers, yeah, or you know, or like like Hermione's little group of of heroines. But it's just the if if his cause is just uh, and the and his idea for how to handle it is a good idea, then more than just him and Quirrell would think so. Um, and I think like that, and and that's I mean that was Hermione's main beef with him was like you just made a decision on behalf of humanity because you decided you knew better. Um, and now all this shit's going to get turned up and like, yeah. And his like comeback was like, oh, we didn't actually hurt anybody. And it was, you know, the, the response was proportional because all we did was like humiliate them a little bit and glue them to the ceiling. And all of those points while valid, like missed the point of now you've stirred up a hornet's nest because you decided the hornet's nest needed to be stirred up without consulting anybody to see if they felt like right now was the right time to go against all the Death Eaters. Um, and maybe there's things you didn't know about going on that probably made that a really bad idea, but it didn't occur to you that maybe you should ask. Um, so it's not even so much about like the, is it okay to do that? It's like the way you did that, was that okay? The totally like disregard for all other humans because you think they're NPCs. Uh, was the problem with it. And, and and then Harry's response keeps being like, oh, but you can't do nothing. It's like, that's not, there's more than just the do nothing or try to be the savior of humanity. There are, you know, other choices in between that are, you know, way better. Um, but they're not as like satisfying. Yeah. I I mean, it would have been, I love the the mental image of Hermione being the light lord that everyone deserves. I know, wouldn't that be dope? That'd be cool. And uniting the population behind, you know, doing your homework and goodness and rather than like no what we need is might and we'll 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 unite behind the strongest scariest person who also happens to be on our side like that sounds like a really bad idea um i mean that's the thing is like a dictatorship sounds great if the kind of people who became dictators weren't assholes right yeah exactly yeah and and it's always the like in like the plans all sound great when 
the scenario you're picturing is okay what happens when we succeed but like in the real world you never succeed succeed you always partially succeed and what does it look like partially success is partial failure and what does that look like and what that looks like is you know making mistakes but having absolute power to be a dick about it that actually leads us great into this quote but i want to put it pin in it because there's another line i wanted to read before that where um Basically, Harry says, all right, fine, we'll, you know, we'll topple this 500-year-old noble house, the Jugson family, if that's what it takes to get this done. And he's like, no, it wouldn't be about the hallways. And it's like, it would be about his, his past crimes. And for me, it's like, eh, it seems like it sort of would be kind of about the hallways. Because you said you, you wanted to crush him for his past crimes, but you would wait until Jugson made, made the first move against you? Like, no, if, if you're going to get him for his old crimes, you'd do that anyway. You wouldn't well, leave and, him yeah. be. And there's a long list of past crimes from a long list of other people that you're apparently not concerned about right now. Right. And I mean, like, you know, I think it was on the, the hat called him out when he had that thought when Dumbledore or when uh, Dumbledore, when Draco was giving him his uh, like Death Eater spiel, Harry was thinking, man, sure it'd be nice to just guillotine all those guys. And the hat points out, like, you realize that's a pretty fucked up thing to think, right? And he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, well, no, actually, just, he, he's uh... much, he owns it much more than that. He says, yeah, that, that is a pretty fucked up thought. Um, you know, clearly, like, the, the solution can't just be, let's go, let's go lopping heads. And uh, I, I, it's, I had some other point to make. Oh, yeah. So I, I'll read these two quotes really quick. So, like, um, Dumbledore says something along the lines of, like, uh, you seem to think, Harry, that I need merely use my full power and all foes would be swept aside. You are wrong. And you pulled out that quote. And then later on in that, that thing, he says, uh, um, let's see, that the while the Black King slept, Lucius Malfoy moved his chess pieces for a time. Do you think Lucius Malfoy would lightly permit you taking a pawn of his color? I just love the, the chess metaphors. Yeah. Um, and then Harry is like, okay, fine, we'll find some convoluted way so it looks like Jugson betrayed his own side. And Dumbledore is trying to push back and he's like, look, obstacles mean you get creative. It doesn't mean you abandon the children you're supposed to protect. Let the light win. And if trouble comes of it, the boy shrugged, let the light win again. And that that's kind of what you're talking about, that like a partial success is a partial failure. And to Harry, that's not really. Yeah. And the answer is just to double down. Yeah. He's, he's not recognizing that as a problem. And like. Partly, you don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Like, if in your first move you don't solve every problem, it doesn't mean you shouldn't make the first move. But yeah, and, yeah, like, and that he doesn't, like, yeah, he keeps like any objection to what he did. He then just frames as, well, oh, you just want to sit there and do nothing. I was like, well, no, that like, and because then that's him just sort of equating himself with like right and good and anybody that disagrees with him is clearly not like these are all the formulas for like crazy cult leader dictator um, the, the downside like from well i guess not the downside the wrinkle is that like dumbledore has been doing nothing for apparently his whole tenure at hogwarts like bullying didn't start this year right yeah. bullying's been a thing for as long as kids have been shoved into schools and i think we we talked about when he was getting chewed up by the headmaster for that whole thing that like i'm assuming that whatever super magic comes with a being dumbledore and b being the the headmaster of hogwarts would give him some ability to do something about this right and yet he's he's elected not to and that's that's i think what's really getting at harry is like look you could have solved this problem but since you won't i'm doing it for you and yes my well, yeah, here's the thing. what's funny though is that and because harry says this to hermione is like what Hermione did 
they shut it down. But like what he said, like, but that actually did move the ball and they're going to do something about it. It's not going to be like, you know, magically solved or whatever, but like what Hermione did caused the school to then start taking it more seriously and then start doing more about it. Uh, what Harry did has now taken everybody's eyes off of that as an actual problem. And now the problem is, oh shit, what are we going to do with the political fallout of all the enemies he just made? And how do we protect Hermione from, you know, getting stabbed, you know, by some hired goon Slytherin assassin? Um, like, so yeah, like now they've made like big enemies and, you know, the shit has hit the fan and nobody's talking about bullying anymore except Harry. Um, like nobody's like nobody outside of that is concerned about that as an issue anymore. And now everybody's concerned about like law and order. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth just remembering that that was Harry's speculation that maybe Hogwarts is going to double down on bullying now. Um, it's not like he, you know, sat in on some meeting where that was decided. He's just like, you know what? That's the vibe I'm getting. And then uh, the very next thing yeah, you get is we, we Hermione getting. That, like that was actually, I think, didn't they say something more that, like, I mean, it wasn't like locked down or anything, but that it was like some impression that that, that was actually happening. I think I it was just Harry. I mean, Harry said it confidently and I, I think that we had reason to believe him, but mm-hmm. he had just said, I get the feeling that Hogwarts can do something about the bullies now. And then the next thing we see is Hermione getting in trouble for stopping bullies, not what yeah. he thought was going to happen, which was probably her getting an award and saying, you're right, bullies, bullying will be taken much yeah. more seriously. That would be, so that, that's, that was that's probably partly why he's pissed. That was, that was the scenario he sort of painted, though, was that, okay, they're going to shut you down, but they're now going to start, you know, doing more about the bullying. So then what happened to Hermione was at least, you know, consistent with what he said was going to happen. He had said that you guys not are retired, nice, but, not that you'll be forced to retire on pain yeah. of expulsion. But, that, but like that doesn't, that sort of, that is a variation of playing out the scenario he was describing. Like that, that's the shitty version of she's getting shut down. But, you know, if the, if the prediction is they're going to shut them down and then start doing more about bullying, then what happened to Hermione was, you know, a version of that happening. I got the impression that he was saying that you guys will retire because your job is done. Not that you'll be shut down and get in trouble for it. No, I think, no, I do think I remember him saying that, like, oh, they can't let this keep going. I think he did say that. He did say that, but then the school yeah. seems to take the other, the other approach. Yeah. And no, I think that's what he, when he said, down, like, retire. I think, I think he meant that, like, like not necessarily by choice, but, like, you're going to retire because shit has just gotten too hot and they're not going to let it keep going. I do love, I think that, that part's true. I also love that we're, we're talking about what Harry said like as if he was a person because <laughs> he is he's a character and you know he's a strong character i just i kind of got meta for a second i wanted to bring us back to where we were at though where um when he says let the light win again and i really like this the phrase by dumbledore and then of course it turns out to be a password he says so phoenix is so might phoenix eh, damn it i almost had it so might phoenixes speak if they had words um, which is kind of nice because that's kind of the exact vibe we've been getting from Vox this whole time. Yeah. Says, but you do not understand the Phoenix's price. And then they're like, that has like this weird echoing effect in those last two words. And this door magically opens up. And then I like this where Dumbledore, it says, Come, the old, said the old wizard. There was no twinkle in those blue eyes now. Since you've already gone so far as to force your way here uninvited, you may as well go further. Um, you know, he's kind of just like sick of maybe indulging Harry's being kind of a dick. And I, I, like I said, I just really like the, the vibe there. And then we get a line break and then this cuts to Harry's perspective instead of Dumbledore's as they go up these dark stairs to this dark room. And there's this beat where 
like Dumbledore isn't using a light to guide the way, implying that he comes this way just, a lot. Yeah. And we get there, and there. Oh yeah, there's this other door. Dumbledore says Phoenix's fate, and then this door opens, and inside is this big black metal room, and uh, there's like a globe of crystal on the uh, in the hanging from white chain that gives off light. But uh, I like this a lot, and there's this really somber beat or this somber melody in the uh, audiobook when this is going on. It says, Within the, the room were pedestals of black, each bearing a moving picture or an upright cylinder, half filled with some faintly silver shining liquid, or a lone small object, or a scorched silver necklace, a crushed hat, an untouched golden wedding ring. Many pedestals bore all three, the moving picture, the silver liquid, and the item. There seemed to be a good many wizard's wands upon those pedestals, and many of those wands were broken, burned, or looked like they'd been somehow melted. It took that long for Harry to realize what he was seeing, and then his throat suddenly choked. It was like the rage inside him had been hit a hammer blow, maybe the hardest hammer blow in his entire existence. I'm going to read the next line too, and then I'll shut up for a minute. (laughs) These are not all the fallen of all my wars, Albus Dumbledore said. His back was to Harry, only the gray locks and yellowish robes showed, not even nearly all of them. Only my closest friends, and those who died of my worst decisions. There is something of them here. Those I regret most of all. This is their place. And it, there's something on the order of a hundred pedestals in this yeah. room. And I I thought this was a really powerful moment. Yeah, I like it. yeah, because it's like it's the it's not that I'm naive or cowardly or that I'm not willing to throw down when we need to, but Jesus, look at how you know. But it's a big deal when you do. Um, yeah, that was one of the thoughts I had. Like uh, Harry's like a like, like a keyboard warrior. Like he's got like the abstract <laughs> concepts of like good and bad and what the right thing to do is are like super obvious to him. And I can't believe that, you know, good thinking people would not do what's clearly the right thing to do here. And then like, and Dumbledore's like, okay, yeah, we've, we've done this and it's fucked up and sometimes you have to, but you know, it's not as straightforward as you seem to think it is. Um, yeah, I like that because it's again, like sort of like, like coming at it with reality, like, and I have actually done this. Um, so my, you have to, you need to have more than your indignant tone to explain away my hesitation to, uh, jump on whatever you think we should be jumping on right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover some of the stuff in the middle, but this was, uh, um, a good line that ties in. Uh, he says that, um, you, you would have to be most terribly innocent in the ways of war to think that Severus made a poor bargain by hurting someone's feelings rather than letting someone get hurt. Mm-hmm. He says, hard decisions do not look like that, Harry. They look like this. And he doesn't gesture. He just stood where yeah. he was. Um, but we got to go back up a bit because there was some stuff there. But yeah, uh, let's see. Um, he kind of explains, like, look, I was once as like young and full of fury as, as or maybe he doesn't say full of fury, but like, you know, righteousness as you were. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that even Godric Gryffindor wasn't so quick to his fury and he didn't let he didn't you know fight every single wrong that he saw like that's not how this is supposed to work and it's not how it can you know i, I think he doesn't come right out and say it but he's like your fucking room will be way bigger than this if you keep going doing yeah, what you're doing exactly did we already pull that quote about um Gandhi? Something about no not no i think it was before, i'm not sure if it was before that but the like you know not allowing any evil to go unchallenged or something Oh yeah, it's it's down it's down after a ways. He says only in children's fantasies can all battles be won and not a single evil tolerated. 
Yeah, and that's what I like I like about the the exchange is like Harry just keeps like bringing up sort of absolutes and you know theoretical you know concepts, and Dumbledore keeps coming back with yes, but what about thing in the real world? Um, and that's it's a great like, clash yeah. of like the the idealism of somebody who hasn't been there and done that, mm-hmm. and then the the conversation with a person who's like, no, actually when you are there and do do that, you get shit like this. Yeah. And that's sort of like the plot, like, and then, you know, somebody brings up a complication of, okay, if we're going to do that, then what about this? And so that you slightly adjust what you're going to say and like, okay. And then what about this? And then, you know, by the time you go back and forth with that enough times, it, the plan starts to look a lot like what's already happening. Um, and maybe not exactly. And it's not even so much that like, oh, and therefore we shouldn't change anything. But it's just like the sort of simplistic version of, oh, you know, clearly, you know, the wrong that is not being righted is for lack of commitment on behalf of the good people. Um, well, no, that's not the case. It's because, you know, in the real world, shit's always complicated. And it might require a 10 year plan rather than, yeah. you know, a really intense afternoon. Yeah. Um, and it sucks. Like. Because I'm really like, yeah, and being the bullies in the hallway right? might end up meaning that you lose the war against Voldemort, right? Which is insane. Yeah, and like Harry doesn't seem, but to him, he's like, well, no. Then you just you find a way to circumvent that. You cheat or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, man, that's all well and good, but I'm a hundred and whatever years old. I've tried that, and I added six new pedestals to my room here. Yeah, like, and there, I, there was there someone like that, like that, like paying for me. This is like in my in my old age. 47 um but like, i mostly think about it like professionally though like like when i came to understand like old grumpy curmudgeon mode is born of like because you abandon the sense of like wanting to be appealing or you know empathize or you know humor the opinion of the person that's being a fucking idiot because your your confidence in being able to be that much of a curmudgeon is because oh i see you doing exactly the thing that i did because i thought the thing you're thinking right now so i've done this i've been there i bought the t-shirt you're being a fucking idiot quit it because i don't want to go along for the ride again i've done this before that's how you turn into grumpy old man I mean, and that was sort of like that's that's and that's sort of what he's been saying here because it it wasn't like oh like you're just too dumb you don't know better it was the yeah and that's what like he goes and he shows him it's like yes I did what you did and here's a hundred pedestals of dead people because of me acting that way and he's not even saying therefore you know shut up and go back to your corner it's the like dude you just need to slow your roll and involve other people because it's going to be complicated so you need input it's. It's tough because, like, on the one hand, you don't want to discourage the person who's been there, you know, who, who hasn't been there and done that is, you know, from your curmudgeonly yeah. pedestal and say, look, therefore, you shouldn't try this way because maybe they're going to try it a different way that actually works or something, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it puts you in a tight spot because otherwise you're just the Dumbledore who puts down everybody trying to do the thing because you're like, oh, no, no. And that's, that's also what's great about this and really humanizing for me for Dumbledore is like, and Harry points out, there's probably a part of him that never leaves this room. Because yeah. how, how, how could you, you know, if, if you knew that a hundred of your closest friends or people that died of your worst mistakes, you know, if, if you, even if you didn't keep a pedestal to them, but if you, if you had them all in your mind, you know, you, you would be really reluctant to engage in the next conflict, no matter what it is. Cause you're like, oh no, I see how this shit turns out. That reminds me of this time that what's her name died or no, we can't do that because he died when I tried something, you know, vaguely similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would put you in this sort of like. I don't know, lock state where you just are, are petrified towards inaction. And on the one hand, you don't want to, 
like force that down other people's throats because they might actually have a better way but you would be yourself extremely reluctant to i don't know endorse it um yeah, and I, like, I guess like the ideal response would be something more like, yes, bullying is bad and let's do something about it. But Harry, here's these eight things you didn't know about the situation. And that doesn't mean, okay, so fuck off and go away. We're not going to do anything. It's all right. Here's a bunch of, of, here's a bunch of information you didn't have that makes your approach complicated and maybe not a good idea. How should we adjust and like work from that? So it's, but it is that like, okay, your, you know, simplistic, oh, let's just bowl over the enemy idea is not going to be the right way to do this. So here's a bunch of things that also need to be addressed based on the, you know, things I ran into when doing what you're doing. Here's, here are the mistakes I already made. How do we, you know, do, how do we handle this in a way that doesn't repeat those mistakes? Yeah. And like, I got the impression that he was trying to have that conversation. And yet when he went, so, you know, Harry probably didn't guess that 14 members of the Wizengamut or, or which rich families or, you know, his, his enemies would, would be owled about this or whatever. He probably didn't anticipate it. So he thought that might help slow, slow Harry down. But instead he's like, Oh, cool. Let's go gung ho on these yeah. guys. Let's start toppling, you know, noble yeah, families. He just wants to keep and, like doubling down. Yeah. You know, what, you know, well, what would you do to win, you know, your next big war? Will you destroy the whole world? If you're willing to destroy a country over bullying in the hallways, how how far are you willing to take this? You know where where will your your wrath stop? And that that's I think kind of where you've been getting at um, with like even with their their last conversation about the bullies. It's like, dude, it's not that you're fighting for the light side. Like we you know yeah, stopping bullies is a good thing, but you're going gung ho, you know not necessarily guns blazing because you're not killing people, you're not hurting people, etc. Whatever, um, but you're you're going all out on this. And you don't realize that, like, shit has consequences. And you can't just, like, just handle them when they come up. Because you didn't even see this coming. If these if these 14 big bads had met behind, you know, at Malfoy Manor and decided how to take down Harry Potter, you'd have been fucked. Yeah. That, that's, you know, it doesn't end with you coming out on top. It ends with you ending up on a pedestal in this fucking room. And yeah. And, and we don't have... It's, like, not a very long line to draw between, like, the way Harry's talking you know, very much fits into the mold of Quirrell that has been drawing of, you know, and Quirrell is trying to mold Harry into, you know, becoming the leader of magical Britain so that he can, you know, correct all the wrongs because he and Quirrell know better. Um, like, so, like it's, it's being pretty clearly drawn out for us. Like, okay, this is the formula for creating crazy dictator cult leader people. Um, and and the way and again like the like super unflattering and grandiose way Harry's talking, and we kind of all point to like okay this is not cool. Um, and what was I going to say along with that? And just that like and like Harry's response to all of this, he's just sort of like he's you know high on the endorphin rush of his righteous indignation, and he kind of just is going to keep anything that Dumbledore brings up. He's just going to keep doubling down with well, okay, well we just need to be even more righteous. Um, yeah, at some so, point, yeah. like it's like, and like you said, and that's that's actually what I really like about it. Like Harry's on the side, Harry's on the right side. You know, let let's let's stop this injustice, and then it pivots back to the Azkaban thing a little later on. But it's like, yes, we we can't just tolerate these evils, and your plan seems to be like what do nothing. So I'm not cool with that plan. I'm gonna do something. And if bad things happen, then I'll then I'll solve those too. Like 
I'm very sympathetic with that idea when the alternative is like, eh, you know, nothing you can do. Um, when in fact there is something you can do. Like Dumbledore could have glued all the bullies of Hogwarts naked to the ceiling whenever he wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the impression I've got, like what's going on is, uh, like Dumbledore's thought is, yes, we do need to do something about this. And I'm doing something about this and a lot more than this, but I can't tell you about the whole shit because the grownups are dealing with things and it involves not telling everybody about everything. So there's more going on here than you can see and quit fucking it up for everybody and flipping the table over because you don't like what was happening right in front of your nose. I wish like, someone would have said at least entertain the, entertain the idea that there's more going on than you know about. The downside is that Dumbledore never says, like, I am trying to solve the bully problem. Yeah, yeah. And if he had, then, you know, they could have had a conversation about it. But he, he just seems to accept it as, like, part of childhood or something. And while it is a part of childhood, it's not, like, a necessary part of childhood. Yeah. I guess I sort of, I like, based on only what I know about what's going on, is it sounds like what he's saying is, yes, that's a problem and trying to do a somewhat something about it. But, um, but like everything you just did, but there's all, there are things unrelated to bullying that are bigger that involve protecting the lives of these kids that we're about to have a war with Voldemort. And the parents of some of these kids are powerful and some of them are death eaters and solving the bully problem is not enough of a priority to make enemies of people that are going to fuck up the larger issue of the war with Voldemort and getting people killed. And so I made an imperfect decision, you know, around, you know, a, a choice between, you know, things that are less shitty. Um, that's yeah, sort that, of the impression I got. No, that's actually, you know, persuasive. Cause you know, like I said, Dumbledore could have glued all the bullies to the ceiling, but yeah. like then the same fallout would have happened. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, all right, great. Then I would have united all these people against us. And how fucked would we be then? You're not thinking big picture, man. And that's what he's trying to get across. And Harry's not getting it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's sort of like a very thing that doesn't fit at all in in even the calmer version of, of Harry's brain is, you know, some of these decisions are made based on information you're not allowed to know. And like, that's not at all cool. Like, cause Harry wants to you know, know that if, does he approve of the thoughts that went into the, does he approve the decision-making process? And does he agree with the end, end point? Like, well, no, this decision-making process involved things you weren't uh, privy to and continue to not be privy to. Um, like, well, that's not cool at all. I mean, it's not cool when Harry does it to Hermione, but it's cool when Dumbledore does exactly, it to Harry. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's like the bigger, like that's, and again, like anything that Hermione says calmly can uh, be treated as probably the way you need to be thinking about it. Um, like Hermione saying, you know, it's not fair that you made that choice on my behalf. Um, like that, that's sort of like the, that applies in this situation and he has no answer to that one. Yeah, um, but because like, it's not like Dumbledore. oh Hermione doesn't know any better. It's like no, that's Hermione. It's not like she's dumb or you know ill-informed or naive. Um, like Harry can't go like oh I'm clearly thinking about things more correctly than Hermione. He can say like oh I think maybe in this particular situation or whatever. But like not running it by Hermione. Like the only the way he justified in that head was just the like oh you would feel like you had to say no. And it's again like just sort of like dismissing her as not capable of you know forming a valid opinion. Right. But what you're saying is that if Dumbledore had similar reasons to meddle in Harry's life or to, like, not include him or something, then it would be okay. Um, 
wait, what am I saying? If Dumbledore was making choices on behalf of Harry without consulting Harry. Well, you were saying that like, look, that, the, the, the big wigs are actually talking, you know, we, you know, the adults have a plan. You just sit this one out because you're not privy to this. Um, isn't that kind of like what, like Harry did to Hermione? Uh, yeah, and I guess yeah, and I so I guess and that's the I guess that's the difference is like that's Harry and Hermione versus like the actual adults versus you know the kids, um, especially I like so you can say like oh well the, you know Harry's the boy who lived or whatever but like that phenomenon as it was you know going on is just the adults that run the school and the kids in the school, um, but even if like you are gonna look at it like okay you know Harry you know involve Harry in that decision that's not okay harry just gets to decide to do whatever the fuck he wants it's okay let's tell harry about the things that he doesn't know about um so that he knows the reasons that went into the decisions that are being made and then we can at least talk about okay what would we want to be doing differently um yeah now that checks uh, out i was just noting the the incongruity there and i think the other thing too is that like dumbledore and his whatever conspiracy of five or six you know super tight besties in the order of the phoenix have a combined let's say 700 years of fighting dark wizards yeah. where Harry and Hermione have a combined uh, six months of fighting bullies. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah. And even, even if that, like, even if it is like, okay, we've decided that our opinion is more valid than your opinion. Um, if the, the, our opinion rather than the, my opinion, like that's like the order of the Phoenix is a team of people that like decided that there's a thing that needs to do and, and they're doing it. Um, that's at least, you know, if you can get, you know, half a dozen people to agree on a course of action. That means it at least survives some levels of, you know, sanity checking and just like, I'm not a self-involved, you know, self-righteous dick with not enough people skills to consult other humans. Um, like that's like, and, and it would be like a total, like different vibe if it was Harry decided to, you know, assemble, you know, his justice league of superheroes to go take on the bullies, um, even if like everything else is like exactly the same, if it was, you know, a group of people decided what they needed to do, it would take on a, like, it would have a totally different vibe to it of not being sort of like this, you know, self-appointed arbiter of right and wrong and not being, um, and that it would have had to survive, you know, it, it would have been, it, it, probably six people wouldn't agree to do like the crazy shit that he did. They would have come up with something like more measured, but it, and it also wouldn't have just that sort of like, Oh, I know better than you vibe. It would, you know, it would be, you know, this is something that, you know, you got X number of people to agree on, um, sort of like validates the idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm sympathetic to that. I don't want to get too hung up on it. Like on the one hand, if you're the only one who sees the right way, um, you know, it, it, the fact that you can't convince people of it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Uh, but it is it is a clue. It is a clue that yeah. you're wrong. Well, so, at least like definitely you should entertain the possibility. Like maybe you still think you still think you're right. And maybe that's totally true. But like act in a way that entertains the possibility that that you might be wrong. At least hedge your bet. And right. Just kind of like, you know, push all your chips in the middle and and decide, that, OK, we're just me and everybody else because I know better um, are going to do this now. Yeah, if half a dozen of your wisest and closest friends are all saying that's a really bad idea, it at yeah. least get, it should give you pause. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you're wrong, but it's like, okay, that, that does count as evidence that my thing isn't as smart as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, I thought I had something else to say on that, but... And, I was, and, not, and not act in a way that's like, you know, that completely relies on you having been right. Like, Oh uh, yeah, that was what I was going to say, is that, you know, we don't get really deep insight into it. You know that Dumbledore leads the order, but I don't get the impression yeah. that he runs it like a dictatorship. And... 
you know, if, if they are going to plan something, it's not Dumbledore saying, here's what we're going to do, guys. It's here's the situation. What do you guys think we should do? Here are my thoughts. Yeah. Um, Dumbledore, I think, leads a group of companions, not a, uh, you know, reverse Voldemort style cohort. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Dumbledore and his amazing friends. Right. Or rather, yeah, it is Dumbledore and his amazing friends, not Dumbledore and his minions. Well, no, not even that. I mean, like even Dumbledore and his amazing friends is, you know, it's Dumbledore doing what he wants and his friends helping Dumbledore do what he wants. Um, Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) If if Dumbledore went off the rails and he even points that out, he's like Amelia Bones and Bartemius Crouch are two of my allies within like the ministry and high oppositions. But even they would abandon us if they saw us just acting, you know, with abandon. Yeah. And... Uh, it's it's hard, you know. So a that's that's part of his thing. Like, yes, that tells me it's a bad idea. But b, like politically, we just can't do that. Not politically in the sense of politics, but in the sense of we would lose everything for this one thing. Is yeah. that worth it? Is it worth? And for and for Dumbledore, the end game he keeps bringing up is Voldemort. And he's like, are you going to throw away your war for ev- for every fucking little thing? Like you almost walked out on magical Britain. Uh, well, I guess not magical Britain after Harry clarified, but like. You know, after Dumbledore slapped him metaphorically in his first potions class, Harry walks into the office and says, I'm going to fucking leave unless you fix this. And I'm going to bring you down yeah. in a newspaper campaign. And while we totally get it, because Snape was being an abusive prick, um, like Dumbledore is aghast because he doesn't because Harry has no scope of what he's doing. He's like, do yeah. you realize that if you leave here and you and you aren't with me and the light side of the force? that we will lose the wizarding war and thus the planet to Voldemort. Like they're, they're the world is bigger than every little fight you're having. Um, yeah. And, if, and something know, it, like in like some, you know, real world analog to how Harry's been acting would be, you know, he would be in jail by now and doing nothing to advance right. any of his, you know, great, like he would have taken shit too far and he'd now be in a lot of trouble and getting nowhere. Oh, I forgot to bring, I was talking with a probot on uh, the Beijing Conspiracy Discord about this, and we were raising, he raised a really good uh, thought experiment, or I called it an intuition pump, um, of uh, like, you know, you're say you're a police officer and you're, you notice misconduct, like what, what do you do? Well, Harry would like break into his house and threaten him and make him stop with a very plausible threat to like his children's life or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um or maybe something more creative than that, but he wouldn't like, you know, whatever, file a, a departmental report or something, right? Harry, Harry wouldn't color inside the lines. Um, and uh, I thought it was a really good intuition pump, and I forgot to get back to him because I had to jump into work stuff. But uh, it put me in mind, and then we got to keep with the book because we've been at this for two hours and we're like, I don't know, <laughs> less than halfway through this well, we chapter. Gotta, yeah, we got a chunk. Um, yeah, so uh, in Dave Chappelle's newest special, not quite stand up because it's not really funny, but it's called uh, eight minutes and forty seven seconds. Um, so the subject matter of the the performance is apparent. Oh, um, it's it's on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. It's definitely on YouTube. Um, it Rachel and I watched it, and man, it was heavy. Like it ended, like we're crying and we're like, that was great, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> But he, he gives an example of a police officer, I forget the name, like he watched some, the, this cop watched one of his colleagues, like she kicked some guy when he's in handcuffs or something, something, you know, abuse. Mm-hmm. And he files it and they basically tell him to shut the fuck up. 
and he keeps trying to escalate this. And I forget the whole course of events, but it ends with this guy killing a couple cops because clearly he's got to take justice into his own hands. And what is he? What then? Of course, what happens? Uh, the guy retreats to a cabin in the woods, and four hundred cops descend on his location and kill him. <laughs> and so, like that's really analogous here to what happens with, uh, or what would happen here with Harry, right? Now, Harry's yeah. solution is like, well, I wouldn't get trapped in the cabin. But it's like, you wouldn't see that you're trapped in the cabin <laughs> I wouldn't. until I 400 guys showed up with guns, right? Um, it's, uh, anyway, uh, all the Harry Potter stuff aside, that special is uh, poignant for the times and super valuable. Um, not everyone loves everything Dave Chappelle ever says, but uh, this isn't really about any of that other than the last, uh, well, I would say the last six months, but it's not. It's about the last few hundred years. But uh, it was a... Um, really moving 30 minutes. It's, it's only a 30 minute special. Um, hmm. It's definitely worth a watch. Uh, speaking about intense emotional stuff, um, <laughs> they're going to segue us back in real hard. Uh, Harry's trying to lecture Dumbledore about Gandhi. And like, I liked his whole thing. Uh, and it's it'd be too long to read, but basically he says that he loved the whole idea of nonviolence and the fact that it actually worked. Like that was really moving. And then he tries to, to put it in Brian terms, mansplain to Dumbledore who <laughs> Winston Churchill was. And I love that. Uh, uh, then he's like, oh yeah, well, Churchill was this guy. And, you know, maybe maybe he always thought there was some better way to go. And then Dumbledore says, I recognize the name, Harry. His lips twitched upward. Although honesty compels me to say that dear Winston was never one for pangs of conscience, even after a dozen shots of fire whiskey. <laughs> I love that because like, I imagine that was almost like accidentally made it as a story. Cause it's just sort of like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's valid talking about Gandhi and Churchill. And I could like see Yudkowsky like thinking like, oh, wait a minute, especially cause it's already established in the books that the, you know, the wizarding world has like the formal introduction to the prime minister of England every time. Um, like that's just a thing. Well, like, of course they would know who Churchill was like that, that he wouldn't be this abstract concept. He's not a historical figure. And I, then I was thinking like, how old is Dumbledore and how long has he been doing? It's like, Oh wait, probably that was Dumbledore. Like Churchill's introduction to the wizarding world was probably Dumbledore. I mean, if we're following this explicit rule, it would have been whatever, whoever was the, uh, Minister of Magic. Was it Minister? But oh, okay. Oh, no yeah, no, no doubt that during the world, yeah, no, no doubt during World War II, were the Muggles and the Wizards collaborating, because apparently Grindelwald had Muggle supporters, and you kind of get the impression that Grindelwald's Muggle supporters were powering the uh, um, the concentration camps, and their blood sacrifices were helping power. Oh, Grindelwald. you're right. I hadn't put that together. And so, yeah. of course, the Wizards and the the Muggles are collaborating to bring this down, and. He's like, nah, man, I've shared a beer with that dude. He's, <laughs> and so like, then, then Harry, I like this. It says, uh, the point is, and then Harry said, after a brief pause to remember exactly who he was talking to and fought down the suddenly returning sense that he was an ignorant child gone insane with audacity who had no right to be in this room and no right to question Albus Dumbledore about anything. Um, like, again, I'm not taking that side. I, I think Harry's got a lot of valid points. I don't want to... I'm going to kind of just ride the fence here and say I totally see both sides. Well, that would be, um, it would be like, okay, that's not entirely... Every, all those thoughts you just had, Harry, are not entirely right. They're also not entirely wrong. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, they're, they're, clo they're closer to wrong than they are to right. These <laughs> these particular thoughts about like, dude, you're in here screaming down Albus goddamn Dumbledore when you don't realize that he's, uh, you know... 15 times your age and has been there and done that 10 times 
Like, you, oh, you, hey, I wish somebody had explained to me sooner that you should do the right thing. <laughs> only there was a I great, thought about that. There was a great, several great moments like that in The Last of Us, um, which one of the things I love about the game is that, like, the devs and I, especially me and Ellie, seem to have exactly the same sense of humor to where, like, I play it more seriously than by myself, but when, I, when my wife is watching, I'll make little comments. And then twice in the maybe combined 40 minutes she's watching me play this across both of these games, have I made a joke? And then Ellie or another character made the exact same joke, <laughs> like right after I finished saying it. And I'm like, man, this game gets me. Um, anyway, uh, oh, yeah, so one of them was like, they're trying to fix a car in the first game. And she's like, why don't you fix one of these? And he's like, oh, my God, you're a genius. Why don't I fix one of these cars laying around? He's like, because they're all shot to shit, girl. <laughs> but... Um, his, his whole thing like oh my god you're a genius <laughs> um, anyway so then uh, like I liked Harry's response about uh, Gandhi because I had a similar like epiphany about him rather the epiphany was had for me and I accepted it when I read a book some <laughs> 10 years ago um, that like uh, Harry's point about Gandhi says the point is that saying violence is evil isn't an answer and so like the the, the nonviolent resistance is great and all, but when Gandhi said, hey, if the Nazis invade, let's do the same thing, like that would have been terrible. It would not have worked out the same way as it did with the Britons. They would have just walked through. And that, that to me, the analogy in the book I read was like, one guy with a machete can walk through your entire village and kill everyone. And that there is a, a philosophy that says, yep, because violence is wrong and I'm not going to do violence. There's, there's a weakness in that philosophy. If, if one asshole with a machete can come, walk through my town and butcher my wife, my kids, my friends, and all I can say is, oh, I can't raise a hand to stop you because I'd be wrong, that is, that is not the right answer to violence, right? Yeah, I think that's, and that's again, like the, the, the hairy way of approaching it. Like, all, as thought experiments, like, all of these things, like, either work or don't work according to, like, how he's thinking about it. But, and that's that, like, if, like, once you bring reality and other people into it, then the thought experiments stop being thought experiments. And, you know, then, I mean, like, the bad idea has to survive both, like, uh, contact with the enemy and the, the objections of the other people you want to involve. Yeah, but, like, the, the, I mean, Nazis invading India wasn't, I mean, it was a thought experiment, but it almost wasn't. And it would have gone that way, right? Like, um, if, if, yeah, if, no, if I guess what saying, that made me think was of that. And yeah, if we were, if if India was going to be ruled by the dictatorship of Gandhi, then that probably would have been bad. Um, and that, like, and then the other would be so that if the you know the Nazis roll into Bombay, and uh, Gandhi says, "All right, let's all just lay down and be pacifist," then there would have been you know a thousand people going, "Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me." Um, and that's I guess, a good like, point. Not, sort of like, not everyone had drank the Kool Aid yeah. of pacifism. Yeah, and or you know, and if it and if it was like the dictatorship of Gandhi, then then okay, maybe they would do that. But and I don't, you know, fucking, I don't know, Gandhi quote ruled, but like that would be the thing. If you know, if it relied on convincing people to do it, then when it stopped being a bad idea, they would stop doing it. Or at least you know, if it became a terrible idea, you know. If, if all it takes is that the one person like mandating things still be convinced of the righteousness of their own cause, then shit can go further south than if anytime something goes badly, you have to try to continue to convince the people that are doing it to do it. I don't know. Just sort of like, just basically like the humility of involving the input of other people. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. You know, certainly if there'd been enough time afterwards to mount a defense after they yeah. realized, you know, this pacifism thing isn't working out. 
Um, and that's sort of like how it's easy to sort of like get lost in those like those little thought experiments and then you know and then go too far with your own is that you like you put up like that kind of like oh what if everybody had laid down with the nazis rolled in well they didn't and if they had it probably wouldn't work out the way that you've got laid lined up in your thought experiment um so yeah i hear you i've been talking for a while um we can move on to why about Dumbledore talking about why Snape needed to keep his cover as an evil teacher, and I'll let you talk for a bit. Oh, uh, yeah, he, well, I was sort of, yeah, and I think, because he had used the phrase before, because um, what he said was, you know, we needed, he, he was sort of vague again about, like, well, why do we need our evil professor thing? Um, so we're still sort of, like, we vaguely know that, like, okay, Snape is, like, on the inside track. He's our mole into uh, Death Eater land. Um and that the you know the way he maintains his cover is by being you know a dickhead teacher at Hogwarts, and the one of the tools in the box for to do for doing that is that he's an abusive dick to the to the kids, um, in order you know play off that character of you know being evil um, potions professor, and he'd use the and and so what Dumbledore says was you know and they stay a lot they will survive. Uh, the war and they will survive Voldemort because we are protecting them and their feelings will be hurt. And the what we are getting in return for that is Snape helping us win that war. So the big picture, it's, you know, way worth it and, uh, and you know, a much smaller priority to be worrying about the kids being bullied. Um, on, you know, on the other hand of that, you're like, you know, I don't know that that necessarily follows like, okay, yeah, you have to, Snape needs to maintain his cover. Is there no, other, again, like the false choice, like, is there no other way for Snape to maintain his cover than to traumatize the children? <laughs> Was that the only choice available to us? Um, yeah. Couldn't he just be like, like we said, like a, you know, mean teacher rather than torturous. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, there's other ways. Yeah. There, there are ways to appear to be mean that don't involve, you know, psychological damage to the kids. Um, yeah, so, it's yeah. uh, and then like, um, that's where, uh, oh yeah, basically that's what he says. Uh, Dumbledore says, you know, that was our answer to violence. We didn't fight when it seemed righteous to do so. We fought when we had to, when there was no other way left. And then Harry kind of segues, oh, is that why you fought, waited so long to fight Grindelwald? And Dumbledore's like, who have you been talking to? Oh, wait, no, nah, I don't have to ask. And uh, I I haven't told anybody this because, you know, it's a very important secret. Um, and he, so, and he, so, yeah, he kept talking about like how Grindelwald had, did he say an artifact or, you know, he had something that made him basically invincible. And I couldn't defeat, you know, all I could do was would be to just, you know, fight him for a long time until stalemate. Um, but I could never defeat him. And I, he never said it. So it is that he's just talking about the, um, what is it called? The great, what, what's the wand? The elder wand. The I elder have wand. one actually. Oh yeah. You told me that. Um, that's what he's talking about, right? That Grindelwald had the elder wand. Uh, that's what we can infer that he's yeah, talking sure. about. And is that, that's not, that wasn't in canon, was it? That wasn't, because Grindelwald was. was a lot more. Was it that yeah. Grindelwald had it? I thought. I think that was, I remember that being that? somewhat of a plot hole because he got it from Grindelwald when he beat him. And yet supposedly it makes you unbeatable in a fight. So um, this one, this one points out that like, no, Dumbledore didn't quite win. He just fought Grindelwald to magical exhaustion. And apparently the reason that he didn't engage him earlier is because he would never get magically exhausted while his muggle allies made blood sacrifices to sustain him. Mm. <laughs> and so he says he was, during that time, truly invincible. 
Of that grim device which Grindelwald held, none must know, none must suspect. There must not be a single hint. Um, <laughs> Except for me carrying it around. Right, which is <laughs> awesome. But, I mean, as long as no, literally no one knows what it is, then it's not even a hint, right? Um, so then uh, it there's this other, you know, whatever, great segue where I like how you put it. Um, <laughs> where, uh, what was the line? Um, so basically he says to uh Dumbledore he's like oh so are there dementors in Nermengard and he says what no they're I wouldn't do that even to him and uh your your pull out there was thrashing about to look for more targets for his righteous indignation (laughs) Harry bitches about the fact that Grindelwald is held without need for dementors I thought it was well to me and I don't know if it read that way to you to me it it was sort of like not quite a non sequitur but like a wait what we're talking about this this again like let's stay on topic people um, it was a very sharp pivot I think yeah, what was like Harry was using was like, it for was to illustrate the point that like no look man this proves you're willing to tolerate evil bullshit yeah it was because yeah, it was, you you and I both agree that Azkaban's evil and you're saying that wizards know that they know how to keep bad wizards imprisoned without dementors and yet they still have them here no fuck that man you know all that does is kind of like just fan you know fan the the or but yeah fan the fuel of his righteous indignation yeah it's just like yeah it's just like oh wait here's something else i can be right about well it's not it's not right because well i mean yes it is he is right about it but dumbledore agrees with him on it that azkaban is terrible you and i agree on that azkaban's a torture chamber it sucks it's not good um what what harry's uh, stepping on about, and I think what you are too, and I'm being uncharitable. Um, like, it's not that, yes, Harry, we all know Azkaban's terrible. Like, everyone who's not, you know, an asshole or a person who votes for assholes, um, we all agree that Azkaban is terrible. It's it's that, that's not what we're, we're, we're complaining about. What we're disagreeing about is that the, the smart thing to do isn't to go destroy the Ministry of Magic so we can destroy Azkaban. Like, mm. we, like, so that, that's the whole thing is um, Harry says, you're willing to accept balances of power where the ba- bad guys end up winning. I am not. And Dumbledore points out that too is not an answer. And, you know, refusing to accept something does not change it. I wonder yeah. if you're simply too young to understand this matter, Harry, despite your outward airs. Only in childish fantasies can all battles be won and not a single evil tolerated. And uh, then Harry whips back with and that's why i can destroy dementors and you can't because i do because because i believe the darkness can be broken and what it's sucks not, about this is that really. like it's not really yeah that's not true yeah like that's not why you can destroy dementors yes that's that's a component of it but the real the real reason is that you understand their true nature and you can face them on that level granted your your whole thing about you know his belief that you can break the darkness is part of his fuel for doing it. But, you know, like you don't have, he, he phrased that in such a way just to be hurtful to Dumbledore yeah. and like, all right, you are now just lashing Well, And out. just a win. Yeah. Not even so much to be hurtful, but like, you know, cause he's just, he's clawed onto, I'm going to win this argument. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then basically this is where Dumbledore comes back with like, all right, what are you going to do to win your fight against uh, Voldemort? Are you going to destroy the whole world like that? You know, mm-hmm. he's they're they're both. I, I I'm just trying to summarize now because I'm realizing we're halfway through this chapter and it's a longer chapter and we're two hours and fifteen minutes into this. But um, <laughs> uh, I do like where um, he says, "No, Quirrell uh, 
gave Hermione those points because he's not a good person, so he's free to help people whatever he wants. And I should remember that anytime I considered growing up to be good. And Dumbledore didn't show the force of the blow, um, the emotional, you know, smack that mm. did to him. And this part's also super mean. Don't worry, Headmaster, I've got my wires crossed. I know that I'm supposed to learn goodness from Hermione and Fox, not from Quirrell yeah. and you. And, and it's like, yeah, man, you're going to put me in the same bucket as Quirrell. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Quirrell. He's a really fun dude. But... Like, to put him in the goodness bucket, the same goodness bucket as Dumbledore is just mean. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's like, yeah, because Harry sees, you know, every conflict as, you know, just a a battle of wills and that, like, all problems are solved by the sufficient force of your will. Um, you know, and, and a problem not being solved is simply because you didn't want it bad enough, because you weren't willing to go to the wall badly enough. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. That's some the secret talking, right? Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I hadn't thought about that way, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's just, just well, yeah, like oh, clearly this this problem is still a problem. Clearly, just because the people that should be fixing it didn't want to fix it badly enough, right? As opposed to like, there's no good answers here. And sometimes that's just the way it is. I I, su- I support Harry's indignation at the system. Don't get me wrong; the system sucks, and it would be great to do something about it. But I also support Dumbledore's one and a half centuries of expertise in the subject of like, yeah, things suck, but look, man, it's not that easy. Yeah. And Harry yeah, refuses like to, to accept like, that yes, it's not that trying, easy. We're trying to fix this, and what you're going to do is just going to make it worse. Yeah, so and like, Harry just can't see that. So he eventually just falls back on, hey, you know, the whole reason I was here is Hermione's time is too valuable to be spent in potions detention. So fuck that. You can, you'll can you have Snape provoke it, claiming that I blackmailed him. And <laughs> uh, it's... um. Like, all right, uh, great. Um, you pulled out the next quote that, well, I guess Dumbledore says, uh, yeah, she has to serve detention, but it'll be with Professor Binns. And you guys can just study. You know, Binns won't even be there. Um, I'm assuming. I don't know what Binns does between classes now that I think about it. He doesn't have a seat at the head table, I don't think. He, so he doesn't even he, pretend he, to go to meals. He powers down. He just goes into energy saver mode. He powers down, yeah. Um, you pulled out a quote after that. Yeah, like Harry, uh, yeah. So Harry goes like he clo- he opened it with Karen and he's closing with Karen. Um, as he says, <laughs> "Fine," the boy said. I think that was all the business we had together in the end. You may expect the next time you seem to be working on the side of the bad guys or letting them win that I will do whatever I think Fox would tell me to, regardless of how much trouble comes of it. I hope we're both clear on that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's like a like he sounds like a, a douche, but it's also like very. I, I get like grandiose or just the like he 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 overstepped not not overstepped but like he he oversold it you know you're not quite that impressive he's, he's trying to talk down to Dumbledore a little too hard and you know that that's that's the part of this that I can get 100% on board with is that like if he had tried the nicer with Dumbledore if you if he even if he had shown up the way he did just to kind of you know force a meeting and then just sat down at the you know the table in front of the desk and be like, I'd like to talk about what happened with Hermione. That would have been mm-hmm. great. Instead, he had to go in there puffing his chest and throwing whatever. Uh, trying to think of something he'd be throwing from a metaphor, but I can't think of anything. Bricks, um, bricks on the mind because of the last. <laughs> no, he's, he's, uh, so um, he's throwing Cheetos at the television screen. Right. If if he if he try, if he came in and tried to have a discussion rather than jump in, just. Again, metaphorical guns blazing and like to fight the enemy, Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. No, man, like let's 
let's not put Dumbledore in this shit box of yours. Like, assume that the guy's nice and has reasons for what he's doing. You didn't even ask what those were in a nice, welcoming way. Yeah. Like, for all you know, like, I mean, literally for all you know, this saved Hermione Granger's life, right? Yeah. Like, it could have been that there were 14 people, whatever, these these rich bad guys, who were conspiring the very next morning to come in and, you know, whatever, poison her breakfast or something. And having her defeated here literally saved her. And would you have shut the fuck up then? Maybe not. But, like, because then he's like, well, then he should have stopped the poisoning, whatever. Like, I don't know. Maybe they were going to go kill her parents. You know, who knows? Like, the point is, is like, you, you know, you know who doesn't know Harry? You. You should have yeah. tried to find out what the great and, like, well-respected for good reasons, Dumbledore reasons were for doing what he did. And then you can disagree with them, but he never gave him a chance. And that, that's what I didn't like about it. Yeah. And I, I like in the other clues, like Harry's acting very quarrel. And that should just be like a little clue to us that that's probably not good. I don't feel like quarrel is the kind of person, the kind of person in most of his regards that you want to be. Yeah, exactly. I think you and I talked before the episode started about like getting off on like competence porn. Yeah. Like there's something awesome about seeing somebody be excellent. And like, that's what makes Dr. House so attractive, right? Yeah. Like, you know, no one wants to be like him as a person. What you want to be as you you want to be like him in that you're so awesome that you're indispensable. Um, yeah, that, that part's a, super cool. But you don't want to be a miserable pill popping dick. Yeah, and that like that competence porn aspect of it, like that's like, as readers we see that in Coral, but that's what, like that's what Harry sees in Coral and why he idolizes him. Um, but like all the things that are. Uh, the only good qualities about Quirrell are not things that Harry admired. Like, they're things that Harry already does. Like, Quirrell likes being accountable and, like, you know, like, there's, like, that kind of stuff. Like, the, the Quirrell has nothing, there's nothing good about Quirrell that is a thing that Harry needs to be emulating. Um, anything that is good, Harry already has. And the things that he's admiring are not the good things. Yeah. I mean, uh- Yes, I mean other than like the hyper competence, like you want yeah. to be that that strong. But yeah, yeah. I can see but that. Harry's already, you know, Harry himself is hyper competent in some ways. Like you know, he's competent in ways that he even shares with Quirrell. So like, yeah, those are the, like the, the the things we do like about Quirrell are not shortcomings of Harry's. Right. Yeah. Good point. I also like. I wanted to emphasize two things. One, when I mentioned House's bad qualities and he's pill popping, I didn't mean that like the fact that he's you know a a drug addict is necessarily like a it's a bad thing. You don't want to be that. I wasn't using that as a detriment to his character. I meant that he's doing that because he's a miserable person. And then I was thinking how much fun it would be if, like, at some point during the show, one of his team members was just a fanboy of his. Like, that would have been <laughs> such a weird dynamic oh, yeah, yeah. to have to have some, you know, because instead, all they are, all of them, and it makes sense because it makes works for the show, they're all sanity checks, like, trying to rein him in. Yeah. It would have been so hilarious if one of them was, like, an enabler who was just like, oh, my God, you're so fucking oh, cool. That's right. uh, we, should, we, should, we should do it. house set. Oh, let's do that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or help, yeah, and help, helping him cover up like I, mean, I still would have watched kill that the, accidentally kill the patient so he helps house like frame one other doctor for it <laughs> oh man if they only understood well you know the you. doctor we framed you know he, he was he was an asshole anyway this is great mm-hmm. it's just this whole like just spiraling path yes. to madness <laughs> instead we got a different spiraling path to madness and it turns show. out house, house is Voldemort all along Yep, yeah. the real Voldemort was the friend we made <laughs> along the way. Right. Um, so we get our next aftermath. Believe it or not, we're not done with this chapter or this yeah. reading. So, um, I guess the only, like, so, and then we do figure out as as Harry's leaving that uh, 
that he that oh i guess so then it like it's not the act of his leaving that set anything up it's just that we get to find out that he uh he followed mcgonagall up as she was leaving so that he could then travel back in time to be at the top of the stairs yeah, somewhere around 9 a.m., 9 p.m., he's, he just hung out around the gargoyles and waited for someone to go up to Dumbledore's <laughs> office. I also like when he's dismissed, go, Harry Potter, the stairs will receive you. He still talks like an old Gandalf. I, I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like the, the language, even uh, even besides uh, Dumbledore's dialogue, it was sort of very flowery, Lord of the Ringsy kind of prose in this chapter. Yeah. So speaking of not being done with the chapter, we've got Professor Quirrell and, and it leads us into, yeah, but the like little heading is just, it's it's the name oh, of the nice. person and then an and and then a dash so you don't get who the last person is, which doesn't really pay off until the last uh, after. Oh, I, wasn't, I wasn't even tracking that. Oh, oh, man. I missed, I missed it. See, I'm, I'm like done with all of this like subtle shit. Ah, it's fun. <laughs> you, you hold it's your too much work. All right. So, speaking of too much work, I'm also tired. I'm going to try my best to keep my, right. my energy up for the last half hour here, um, if that's as long as it takes. So, Quirrell and Snape in the forest, and... This one's pretty it, fat. I mean, it's just sort of a set like, Quirrell uh, tells Snape, like, A, I know that you're uh, Dumbledore's bitch, and Snape is like, no, I'm not, in a way that totally doesn't convince anybody. Um, but then what he does say is like, oh, I can tell you're kind of, but that you've gone off the reservation and you're kind of acting on your own and I'm not sure what that's about. So tell me what that's about. And Snape won't tell him anything. Right. Um, he refuses to admit that anything's going on, even yeah. though he went to the desperate length to memory charm 52 people. Yeah. As oh, to yeah, why yeah, we do learn that. Yeah. Cause we were, you were wondering earlier, like, yeah. why wasn't this a big deal? Well, cause literally no one remembers Nobody it. knows. Which yeah. is insane. Cause like. I'm assuming he then had to read all their minds to make sure they didn't tell anybody before he got a chance to memory charm them. Yeah, that would be like like whack-a-mole, though, because like he'd memory charm one person, but then somebody else would tell somebody else, and he'd have to, like, you know, like, containing that would be hard. He must have been fast about it. Mm-hmm. I guess he also has a time-turner, doesn't he? Uh, does he? Or we got the impression, because they mentioned from the... Um, like, she never... Uh, Rianne Felthorn says something about how I get how that's the time oh, that's how the time-turner yeah. works. So I, guess, I guess, see, I guess I wasn't, I mean, I guess it is, but like it wasn't, for me, that wasn't like thoroughly established that then, oh, Snape was going around all, like that Snape was there at each of those little uh, rumbles with the bullies. Um, but yeah, I guess it, like somebody had to be with that. Or no, because wasn't, because Rianne was telling him in advance. So somebody else or, was. Or he was telling her to tell Millicent Bolstrode. Oh, see, I'm lost on that. Wait, no, but wasn't. He was being told when wasn't it was Brienne was telling him where the bullies were going to be. I think that he was telling her where they were going to be. No, I think I think she right. was telling him. You dig? I'll keep summarizing this chapter. All right. Um, basically, like you said, Quirrell does or Snape does a bad job denying his true allegiances. Um, and then I like this line where you don't want me as your enemy, Quirrell said Severus Snape. <laughs> I don't. How would you know? <laughs> How would you know? Boss Maybe me. I'd love to have you as an enemy. Boss me. And so then uh, he's like, you know, well, on the other hand, my friends enjoy, you know, many benefit, many advantages, such as, well, I know things at this school, things you might not think I knew. How incredibly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's like, I know you've been investigating the third floor corridor. You know nothing of the sort. Do not bluff with me, Severus Snape. Um, now, and, and we had already, like, before, it had sort of already been planted that there's something about the third floor hallway, but we, like, didn't know. Yeah, it was yeah. part of the opening speech. You know, yeah, don't like, go down the third floor corridor. Uh, that's, and that's, but that's about it. So this is sort of like the payoff for that. Like, oh, okay, there's something, something significant going on here. Um, it's like you don't remember the first book. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, then I think uh, the heroines also said, we should just do the third floor corridor like all the other people do. And it's like, no, that's not what heroism is. It's not just breaking the rules for the sake of breaking them. It's uh, about doing the right thing. I think that's the only other mention we get. Yeah. Um, and then, and Quirrell sort of goes on about like the level of, he's like, there's some serious shit, like the spells and stuff that's going on. And then, and then a buddy bullshit lock has been put on the door. So it's clearly like a booby trap to try to, you know, tempt somebody into doing it. Uh, so, you, so he says, like, so I know there's something like, you know, serious there, but I don't know what it is. Uh, but then he says, oh, but yeah, I already stole it. And Snape's like, no, you didn't. He's like, well, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I was just thinking if you'd call me on it since you're pretending to know so little. And then Snape's just like, what do you want? And he's like, nothing, really. I'm just, you know, just curious. Nothing. Thought I'd see where you're... I'll just hang out and watch as your plotting goes. Um, so and that's basically... Like, oh, and we, you know, we could be friends. And that sort of like stuck out to me. It's like, Coral doesn't know how friends work. We could be <laughs> friends. You know, you know, there's no friends with Coral. Quirrell has observed other hominids using the syllables friend. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yes, we could be that thing. <laughs> Greetings, fellow humans. Greetings, fellow humans. We can talk about the weather and sports and watch TV. Um, anyway, that's their interlude. Then we move to Draco Malfoy and... Yeah, and so the um, some of the other Slytherins were basically just going to take revenge on Millicent Bulestrode for being the source of, well, see, now I'm not clear who, where the hell is, is she the source, being the source of the, of ratting out the uh, bullies. Um, and, and Draco, I think we sort of like come in in the middle that like he's just cast a shield up to uh, protect her. Um, and the, the Slytherins that were going after her are, puzzled and weird and draco said it's more it's again like the uh like his with hermione on the on the roof it was a like oh like he did it without thinking and so he's like defending this girl from being herself bullied and now he's like oh fuck now i have to explain this uh because he's sort of like spontaneously acting like a good guy uh without thinking about thinking about it in advance and then he's got to try to tap dance his way out of the consequences for it um so they like so they look at him weird and he's like uh wait a minute and his so he has sort of very quickly and he's like super nervous on the inside but is acting all malfoy on the outside um but he's like okay shit so uh so what he says is like it wasn't her she's just a pawn uh and then he says like did you even know what you were doing she's like no um and so he's like trying to very quickly like make it look like he's not acting like a good guy (laughs) um he gave his number two sneer. <laughs> yeah, number two sneer. That's right. Um, and then, yeah, and then he makes up. He's like, you "Consider our, you know, your favor repaid." And he's and then hoping, like, oh, I hope she doesn't say what favor because there is no favor. Um, so he's just sort of like desperately trying to make sure he doesn't look like softy. Um, and so that sort of like that then goes over, and then he can see that like Goyle, and then, then we have like a weird little like line break that, but we don't change scenes so. Um, I think we do. This has to be privately back in his room that they're having this conversation. Oh, uh, is that what it is? Oh, oh yeah, I guess it makes sense. Um, 
Yes, and then Goyle is he can tell the Goyle's like, uh, what the what the fuck, boss? Why are you being a good guy? Um, and that's basically I think what what Goyle says. And um, and so Draco's like a oh, shit, like he's losing confidence in me basically. And he like recalls his father, like his father's advice for if they ever uh, like start questioning him, is basically like slap them back in their place and insult them a little bit. Um, it doesn't quite seem to be working. Um, and so what Draco says, and then Draco says, like gives basically kind of an honest answer to it, um, which is sort of saying like, okay, this, you know, this, these, these actions on my part are like not a betrayal. They're like the smart thing to be doing, um, which is that like this next war is coming and it's not going to be like the old war. And Harry Potter is clearly the power on the table. And I am lining myself up to, you know, to carry on the Malfoy tradition of sucking up to the most powerful person so you can be their lieutenant. Um, and that he's like, yeah, and this is not the way father would do it, but the rules are changing and it's, I'm not betraying my family. It's like, this is the, this is the way we have to play this now. This is, this is the Malfoy way to play this, but the, the game has changed. Um, which sounds like, and Goyle sort of, he's like, oh, okay, but it's a little, kind of a, over his head a little bit. Um, but that's what I like about of, it. There's a couple things is that like, uh, when he's lying to Dra- when he's lying to Goyle, like he's keeping it as close to the truth as possible, mm-hmm. which is probably the talent of lying. Yeah. Um, and then when he goes over that thing about how you know Father made it clear that Vincent and Gregory weren't weren't his equals, that if they ever questioned him, he was to hex them. Um, mm-hmm. And instead, he says, "It's all right, Gregory. You know, all you have to do is worry about protecting me." And like. He, he says as gently as he could. He doesn't say, how dare you question my mm. my genius and, and hexes him. He actually is his friend, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there's also the thing where he, because his goons, excuse me, his friends aren't ready to hear the truth, he lies about, oh, no, Granger's obviously adopted. You've, you, you know that. Don't you believe anything Father says? Yeah. And uh, when, in fact, Draco knows that's not the case. Um, I like to it's just sort of like fed on like the self-fulfilling logic that like you're just working backwards from the assumption that you know mudbloods are worthless and so she's not worthless therefore not a mudblood right which again is draco knows it to be a lie but he he knows that he can't be like actually harry and i did this experiment back in like october <laughs> and, um so uh what's an experiment um anyway yeah he'd have a lot of ground to cover before he can tell his friends about it but i, I did like how you know especially for another growth moment for draco like he doesn't follow his father's footsteps of like, no, no, if your minions ever question you, punish them. He's like, no, if my minion here questions me, I'm going to put my hand on his shoulder and say, hey, man, it's all good. And yeah, and the, and that's, the, that's pretty and the, cool. And the things that he said, like, they weren't really lie. Like, the only lie about it was that he was, you know, leaving out that it was actually just sort of spontaneous, like, niceness as opposed to, like, being a good idea. Um, but, like, all the, you know, everything he says is, like, valid. It's not, like... Except, except for mud bloody business. Uh, yeah, yeah, that part. Of it. But his like his explanation for like basically why is he being a good guy? Um, are right, totally legit. Yeah, and I, it's one of those things where it's like it's technically true. I think he is calculating that statement to be intentionally deceptive. Yeah, 
like he's saying, no, look, I've got this long running plot. When in fact, you know, the reason he did that was he was on impulse doing the right thing, yeah. which he can't explain to his friends right yeah. now. So he twists it a little bit. But yeah, yeah um, I guess I like like the, the those reasons that he does come up with are like are true. Like and not so much that like I mean, so yeah, he was being uh, deceptive, but that um, all of those like they were like the sli- the Slytherin side is satisfied with that, like. <laughs> it is it is consistent with being a Slytherin for him to act the way he's acting. Yeah, totally. So he's not having to like he doesn't have to tap dance around that part. Yeah, he sells it to him right. Um, and this is where we get the bit where so then we get aftermath. Hermione Granger and and it opens with her getting the invisibility cloak from Harry, which I did like a lot. Um, it describes how like being invisible is super weird. Yeah, and she says that you know Harry. To be fair, and she did try to be fair, you had to admit that sometimes Harry was a very true, true friend. Because he didn't ask, like, what do you need it for? You know, when can I have it back? She just said the word invisibility and he, like, handed it to her. He gave her a fucking Deathly Hallow just because she was like, hey, can I borrow that thing? And, oh, yeah, totally. Here you go. Um, yeah, and, I like, and that's part, like, Harry keeps sort of, like, going back and forth with his level of dickishness. But this thing, this has been, like, consistent from the beginning. He's totally like his level of respect for Hermione never wavers and his loyalty to her never wavers and you know being there for her and supportive of her is always like that like that one's never like a qualified uh support it's always you know that's just consistent the whole way so it's cool yeah totally like that. and this is the part where I pulled out that um Millicent was getting notes from somebody who claimed to be a seer and then she, you know, because she got the seer idea, I think, implanted in her head from Daphne, I think, assuming that she was a seer. Because um, yeah. she was like, oh, I, you know, you must, you must be able to see the future. That's how you gave us that note. And then Millicent, at the end of getting berated by Hermione, saying that's not how prophecies work, gosh damn it. Um, <laughs> she says, well, but, she told, but, but she told me that she was a seer. And so I think that the person who told her that she was a seer was, uh, um, what's her name? Rianne. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Snape was giving her the information but you know okay. if the mystery isn't 100% solved that might be on purpose so um, you know we haven't finished the book yet and it's not necessarily clear that literally every little thing will be laid out perfectly except but didn't I think, we I thought we had like, wasn't it like Millicent's sister or something had a time turner I thought that yeah. was I think that was what we thought was like ultimately the source of all this was some other student with a time turner I think i have a good picture of all the things involved it would take two minutes to explain and i'm tired so i'd probably right. turn to thoughts so um we'll we'll, we'll figure it out so or someone else will to, for us fast forward to sith kermit okay yeah so on our way back um she i do takes, like how it explains how prophecies work um if we want to touch on that like just about like this time pr- this pressure building up in capital t time i thought was that uh i thought that was just more of like a like other people's half-informed theory that wasn't like how it actually is supposed to work was it uh i mean it's hermione explaining it so i'm assuming from what she read um, Oh, okay like i think that in fact that she points out that she and harry had looked at divination early in their research harry had insisted that they read everything on how to about how prophecies work um that they could get their hands on because if you can figure out stuff that you would figure out in 35 years that would be a huge time saver right yes i mean geez if, if you could do that for your little problems, that'd be awesome. If you could do that for your big problems, that'd be, as, <laughs> as Harry puts it, a, a potentially instant global victory condition. <laughs> victory condition. So, like, hey, man, I wonder, you know, after 35 years, we'll figure out this big problem, you know, this big solution. And I think 35 years is the number because that was the 
the current state of like AI research. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time of writing this was about would have been about thirty five years. I think it was nineteen sixty five that the fir- the phrase artificial intelligence was first used at a conference. I think in Dartmouth, and uh, they were like, "Yep, we'll figure it out this year." And you you three, you guys work on vision, and we'll work on some other stuff. Oh, yeah. And we should have this all knocked out. And then like here we are, fifty years later, making tremendous strides, but it's not a solved problem. But the people thinking at, at the time were clearly thinking this would be a, a short thing. So. The, the wisdom to draw from that is that big, complicated problems might take longer than a summer to figure well, out. Yeah, so. AI, AI is like, you know, flying cars plus 10. I mean, we so sort of have flying so, cars. And flying cars is 20, 25 and then plus 10. If you squint, helicopters are already flying cars. It's, you know, it's, it's Mars colony minus 10. Yeah, that sounds about right. There you go. There you go. Um, I, yeah, um. I was going to go on my segue about why I don't like the idea of flying cars. It's too late. I'm there. I'm segueing. I like my bedroom on the second story. So I don't, you know, not in real park because there's a parking lot in front of my house. But like my last apartment would neighbor to street and we we're on the fourth floor. And the idea of being killed by a drunk driver while I'm asleep in bed on the fourth floor was insane. <laughs> like, you know, people suck enough. It, we're bad enough at driving as it is. We should not put a third dimension to driving. Be, that just have, sounds like a tremendously bad self-driving idea. Self-driving cars before we have flying cars, and then we will have self-flying cars. Hundred percent on board with that. We won't even need them to be flying; they'd be super efficient if they're all self-driving. So exactly. Self-driving cars are the future; they're the best, and we should all go straight there. Um, on her way back, she is like nervous, and she uh, oh, she's not wearing the cloak anymore because that makes sense. I don't know why she would take it off before she gets there. I guess because she didn't need it, but I think I would enjoy wearing it but unfortunately she wasn't wearing it and she is she's uh, like done though like she's coming home it's just like like she's done with it i guess i would be done with it when i got home but you know that's oh, just yeah, me. she's in the hallway yeah i guess you're right yeah she's she, and i mean you know she's on her way home that's fine whatever yeah. but um unfortunately since she's not invisible she is attacked by sith kermit sith kermit who sort of it was like sith kermit doing his hugo weaving v for vendetta imitation that's why Hugo Weaving was in my head. There you go. Because you put him in the notes. Okay, yeah. I, I was wondering why I thought of, of uh, Isildur, or God damn it, Elrond, when you mentioned uh, Viggo Mortensen earlier, because I already had Hugo Weaving's face stuck in my head. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know why. Maybe it's just sort of like the way he talked, but it was like he had a hat and a cloak and looked dark and mysterious, so it kind of had a, a V vibe. What do you make of this? So it opens with fleeting disorientation, and then she gets that again later. Oh, she's um, being obliviated. Yeah. The, well, that one we know because, yeah, because he, like, resets, he, like, so he acts like uh, Sith Kermit and acts all threatening and, and mysterious, and I'm going to help you. And she's like, no, fuck you. You seem all creepy. I'm not going to listen to you. So, <laughs> so he obliviates her and tries again as Glenda the Good Witch slash Pinocchio's Blue Fairy. Um and you know tries to be all sweetness and light to then convince her although we don't know because so what he says though he's like first he's like um by the way snape is a death eater that's sort of supposed to be his like dramatic teaser bit of information to show how uh valuable his information will be and he's just sort of like oh i want to help you and i've got all of this stuff to tell you um and she's like yeah no i'm good uh and he's like why she's like because you're fucking creepy and i don't trust you <laughs> like, but appearances can be deceiving. And she says, well, yes, appearances can be deceiving, but they're usually not. Um, and I that's, just put in the comments, I heart Hermione I heart again. Hermione. 
and that's what so I think and that's sort of like where it wraps up and then it just and then it does a repeat of like her getting obliviated and that was like the, it playing like that at first I'm like okay this is probably Seth Kermit um, that's becoming my official name for this character um, but yeah when he, when he did that I'm like okay yeah this is this is Seth Kermit um, what was different the fact so he basically he's sort of like trying to like kind of transparently like oh he very definitely looks like a bad guy and he's trying to ingratiate himself to Hermione and it's not working because she's like no dude you sound like a bad guy um and and so he like tries it like okay let's just like reboot her and try that again with a different approach the fact like the act of doing that of was so like oh all humans are NPCs and I just have to figure out what like what's the right way to manipulate Hermione into doing what I want and I'll just keep playing Groundhog's Day with her until it comes out the way I like was so like not like not interacting with humans I'm like oh this is okay this is a very quarrel way of of interacting um, which I didn't like that wasn't the vibe at first I think that was like even more the misdirection I think and because I had asked you like when Zabini met Kermit he he had just come from talking with uh coral and so i think like and that's where i'm still like okay maybe not but but anyway so like this way of acting and being like super manipulative and like just completely disregarding like how humans work um made me think okay this very much sounds like coral and i think that's kind of where i'm going with this but it does seem like a weird curveball that our first meeting with Sith Kermit was immediately after leaving a conversation with Quirrell, which also then like, I mean, like if Quirrell's already going to obliviate people anyway, he could have just been like, he didn't need that to be like a separate conversation with Zabini. He could have just done that all at once. So that seems like a problem in my theory, but. but I mean, it's but probably Sith, supposed to be confusing. Sith Kermit is a sociopath. So that's, I'm, I'm, that's pretty much what I'm basing it on. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I remember when you drew contention with like when Harry uh, was getting his occlumency lessons, and his instructor was like acting the exact same way at the beginning of each session, and you were like, "That's so unrealistic," or you didn't you didn't like how like the treatment of treating people like NPCs. Um, it wasn't so much. No, I think well, like that one. My my object wasn't so much my main objection. What I didn't wasn't willing to just swallow as true was like oh if you just you know erase someone's memory and start over and do exactly the same thing that they're going to do exactly the same thing every time um a like that's a thought experiment that's on like testable um kind of i mean well yeah but like the we can only sort of get close to it and but there, there are people the with interrogator amnesia yeah, that react the don't. same way every time you deliver a stimulus but not every every time that's fair um I mean, yeah, so they, when you watch yeah, Groundhog and that, Day... And I, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think what I'm saying, uh, that, that was what I said. It's like, oh, very likely to act the same, but not exactly the same thing every single time. That's actually a good point. You know, when you think about it, like, uh, what's his name? Mr. Bester, the Occlumency instructor. So, like, Harry timed it. He's like, and in six seconds, he'll say this. Like, for all we know, Mr. Bester just had, like, a really bad day. Yeah. And so this time it'll be 10 seconds or three or well, all those things had are so a very like, filling lunch and it's going to be 20 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, those things are like, you know, influenced by the random chemicals floating around in your brain. And like we're not these like little t- deterministic automatons. 
Um, so like, yeah, predisposed to a lot of the same things and very likely to do a lot of the same things, but it's not going to come out. You know, it's, it's not like, Oh, you know, I rolled these dice in exit from exactly the same position, at exactly the same velocity. And they're going to land exactly the same way. Like, no, they probably will, but yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Yeah. I, I was I mean, and it wasn't so much like, that like, Oh, people will be predictably the same way. Like the, they would be, but it was not going to be like clockwork that you can just count on it every time. Not the, Oh, and then in six seconds thing. So when you watch Groundhog Day, you're annoyed that the NPCs are doing all the same thing every time. I well, no, see, no. The thing with Groundhog Day, like it could, Groundhog Day, was magic in the sense that it was. It wasn't like oh, we're just sort of resetting all these people. We're not like erasing memories and putting everybody back and having whatever. It was really like it's the same day again. Um, so at least for that, like it was like in that there is some magic there. Um, and that, but I think also I got the impression like he did, you sort of take away that like he, you know, he did those things thousands of times. So like that was just like, like he was probably prepared for the eight different variations that they would tend to do. And that was just like, like he'd seen all of them. Um, you know, you know how lame that would have been in that movie if like at the end, like he's met with like a genie or an angel or whatever that's like, and now you've learned your lesson, you're a better person. Like if there was some reason for him to have Groundhog Dayed, that would have been. Like, I can't think oh, of like an explanation that would have made that. Huh? Like he did that because of his plan. Like it was somebody's plan for bettering him as a person. Yeah. Like, or, or whatever it was. Like, I can't think of a reason that wouldn't make that movie suck. Or excuse me, that would have made that movie less good. I think, I mean, really, it was a really great movie. But I, I think it was sort of a little bit, not that there was like, you know, some, you know, God from on high planning it. But there was like the there implication of that thing was that he kept repeating the day until he became a better person. And then that, like, right. when he finally stopped being a sociopath is when his day finally changed. That, that was the implication of the story. Yeah. And I, I think that was fine. But like if it had come out to be like, oh, no, you see it happened because whatever. I feel like any any in in movie explanation would have made the movie yeah. uh, worse. Yeah. And that puts me in mind of this awesome movie that came out like three or four years ago called Happy Death Day. And mm. it's the same. It's a Groundhog Day, but she dies every day. And, or oh, rather, heavy, she, no, she gets, uh, she gets murdered doll, every day. What was that? Uh, Russian Doll. It was no, basically. but that's that's another show I need to watch. Yeah, that's uh, the, it's movie. basically Groundhog Day. Okay, I need. That's the second. You reminded me what that was called. A coworker recommended yeah. that to me like a year ago, and I forgot what it was called. Natasha Leone, I think is her name. In any case, you reminded me what it's called. Now it's back at the top of my list. I'm gonna watch Russian Doll anyway. Um, so in Happy Death Day, it's like Groundhog Day, but she gets murdered every day. And it's it's hilarious and funny, and it's this little mystery. And then the sequel gives an explanation to why she was Groundhog Daying. And, but luckily, it happens near the beginning of the movie, and the movie still happens to be delightful. It wasn't as good as the first, but it was totally worth watching. So I recommend, if you like Groundhog Days, uh, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2. Happy Death Day 2. I forget what the second one is called. Dead but again. Dead again. Um, Dead harder. <laughs> die hard. Die hard. I can't die harder, man. Um, die hard as far as titles go. Okay, man. We. I think I, I'm it. out of stuff to say. Done. I gotta. I gotta go watch Russian Doll. Was that what's called? Uh, yeah. Okay, writing that down. So that's on my short list. And while I'm doing that, I'll finish up The Last of Us. This isn't this podcast related stuff. Speaking of this podcast, uh, business stuff, you guys can check out uh, doofmedia.com for all the other cool shit Doof puts out. This is not the coolest thing Doof Media does. Um, I might be biased. Uh, so It's the coolest wait. thing Doof recorded tonight. 
unless they're recording right now. Then I take that back. I think you're right. I don't th- they don't release possibly. anything on Wednesdays, so I think we're in good shape. Wait, do, they do release something on Wednesdays. I think that's what, you know what. If you're curious when stuff is released at Doof Media, go to doofmedia.com/calendar. Um, this is among this is the, one of the top three coolest things that Doof Media recorded tonight. I'm totally fair with that. I'm totally on board with that statement. Uh, anyway, check out the calendar for all their stuff. You can check out all the podcasts there. Um, there's the Discord, which is awesome. It has channels for everything they do, including the stuff that isn't on the calendar, things like Game Club. Um, if you're a patron supporter, you also get access to a new podcast, which is where I will put up the, if I ever get a chance to do the Last of Us uh, like chat episode. Um, I can't remember the instructions on how to find it, but you will get it. It's available like on a pinned thing on the Discord. If you can't find it, message me. Um, or better yet, just ping me on Discord because emails are hard they're not that hard but you'll get a faster reply on discord um anyway there's currently only five episodes and it's called the freeman bros and it's matt freeman who does several doof podcasts and his brother talking about random cool shit and the first one's on education uh they just did one on memetics the one before that was on ai um if you're if you're a nerd and you like cool nerd shit that feed is for you and i don't know if it's just for the freeman bros or if that's where other patron exclusive content can go um anyway do check that out throw them a buck you also get to jump on the discord and yeah that's it that's my whole spiel that's a wrap. oh no wait sorry last thing what are we Jeez. doing what are we doing a, next yeah exactly can't, can't leave without that next week we are doing only chapter 78 oh. which a cursory glance of all the previous chapters character counts tells me that this is the longest chapter we've covered to date interesting um yeah this is the longest chapter in the book so far is it the longest chapter in the book uh no how about that there is one that is longer than this one so yeah uh join us back here next week same time same place wherever you happen to be listening to this be exactly in the same spot next week for episode I guess that'll be episode 37, but you guys don't care about the episode number because that's not listed anywhere. We'll be here for chapter 78. Good deal. Bye, everybody. See you next week.